This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends new cartridges before you run out. So you never have to think about ink. For details, visit hp.com slash instant ink Spotify. Conditions apply. Hello everyone, welcome to Chapter Tactics, your 40k podcast which focuses on playing warmer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. I'm your host, Petey Pop, and with me we are doing a very, very special episode. Oh, Canada, our home and native land. Come on, Jim, join me with me. <laughs> True uh, patriot love. And all thy sons command. All right, I think what a beautiful that's voice. <laughs> what a beautiful, beautiful voice. Juice, we'll give it to him this time. That's right. That's right. They uh, take a while to last. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, for those of you who may or may not know, Adepticon did just happen this past weekend. And today we are going to have a very special episode of Chapter Tactics. I'm doing something I have never done before, we have never done before on the podcast, which is to have two top table finalists on the podcast to talk about their top table game. And of course, one of them being the winner, Mr. Jim Vessel. Congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Big fan of the show. And of course, his opponent, Mr. Steven Juice4. Hey, what's going on, buddy? So, Adepticon happened this past weekend. We have a lot to talk about. We have a lot of good, old-fashioned tournament talk among friends Fal and I weren't there. We were busy sipping margaritas in San Diego. We were doing the shadow top table. <laughs> oh, that's true. In in the dingy frontline gaming dingy. studio. Dignified. Oh, you're, right. you're right. Dignified. Dignified. We were uh, <laughs> uh, Rocky Balboa and um, Apollo Oh, my Creed. gosh. The Apollo Canadian Creed Russian. in the, in the uh, behind the cameras in the warehouse, in the garage. <laughs> there it is. There you go. All right. Uh, before we get to all of that stuff, all the good tournament talk, I do have some announcements and other goodies to talk about. But first, an apology. I read all of your emails. Whether I respond to them or not, that, that leaves a lot to be desired. But I do read them. Um, and I would like to apologize uh, for a rules discrepancy that a lot of you brought up in the last episode regarding our my guest, or our guest. Uh, basically, uh, Mr. Joshua mentioned something about moving again after... Deep, deep striking or outflanking with his, with his jackals. Um, he mentioned it very briefly. None of us caught it. Uh, discussed it at length, but none d- of us caught it. Dis- discussed it a couple of times. It is, uh, I actually <laughs> messaged quite a few people, everyone that I knew that was going to Adepticon, and I was like, look, guys, I'm sure they have already been hit up because uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, over the long war, we get we get shit wrong sometimes too, Just and we get we we get berated with 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 uh, comments and stuff. So I was like, I'm not about to message everybody and say it. I'm just going Thanks. to personally tell some guys as I like, look, don't let anybody uh, come in three inches away from you or nine inches out of reserve and rusted claw strat you and move their bikes in any phase. <laughs> Absolutely, and and uh, so juice. 
pretty much the nail right on the head. Uh, we and absolutely I'm, heard I'm you. pretty sure there was no explicit mention of, of uh, Brood Brothers and, you know, cult traits. Um, well, the, the, that's pretty, we'll talk I, I'd have to re-listen to that, but I'm pretty we'll, sure that we'll was <laughs> Well, that's definitely a future episode of In the Finest Hour or something else. But moving along all that, we, we are human. We do get mistakes wrong. We do forget to catch things. Uh, but that particular day, we messed up. I do apologize. But rest assured, all of you who emailed in, I, I did take in your feedback. I did immediately message Josh um, to let him know, hey, you can't do this. Um, he took it in stride. He apologized. And all was good. So it was actually, in the future, good. It was actually funny because I read the comments in the chapter tactics post on Frontline saying that you couldn't do it, and the first thing I said to Juice when we were about to play was, "Hey, just making sure you can't move your bikes after uh, they pop up." And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." So that's that's the only reason I knew that he couldn't do that. See, so thank we're you doing stairs for being uh, astute and catching that. We're we're doing a service, right? Like if we had just said it, you know, people would have just tuned it out. But because we made the audience work and find. The mm. grievous error and oversight. Uh, I feel like maybe it was more effective coaching. So, so, somewhere I feel like we're missing an April Fool's opportunity here. Uh, you know, next year we'll definitely have to talk about the new Space Marine update 12 inch moving Space Marines with rapid fire four LAS cannons on every Bolter Marine. Anyways. No, I actually, I actually think you heard it here first. Pablo is a playtester, does all the stuff for GW. Um, he's true. reading out of a codex right now. So, that's. It is. It's it's the special April first codex that we receive every year. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff in here. There's twelve primarchs oh. already made. Another twelve more primarchs on the way. Uh, I, I was know. literally just just to be clear here. I was literally at 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 the head headquarters of Frontline Gaming over the weekend, and I don't know if you've seen Office Space, but like the last office that Milton gets. Uh, <laughs> I believe I believe you have my stapler. <laughs> that's that's kind of Pablo's <laughs> office. It is. It's we, right down to the fact that he can't even like get to his chair because there's so many boxes around it. So you know, like it's humble. It's humble. Pablo, it's I'm gonna need you to come in on Saturday for some no, TPS no. reports. <laughs> All right, Mo- moving on. Uh, Shadow Spear giveaway. You guys have been hyped. They just sold out through GW's website in the US cart. So which means. Shadow Spear boxes are gone. We don't know when we're going to get them back. The last time a big box like this blew up and then ran out was Kill Team Warmer Thousand at the end of summer. And guess what? It never came back. So if you can find your Shadow Spear box at MSRP or near MSRP, get it right now because I guarantee you if GW doesn't start selling more, doesn't print more of these Shadow Spear boxes, which they haven't done in the past for some box sets, these Shadow Spear boxes are going to jump up in price and the models are amazing. So get your Shadow Spear box as soon as you can. Probably not from Frontline Gaming. We're all out. But one lucky patron did win a Shadow Sphere box. And Val, drum roll, please. Drum roll, okay. drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll, drum roll. You can sing O Canada, but you can't drum roll. I got it. Uh, congratulations to Mr. Scott T, who won the Shadow Sphere box. You not only get the Shadow Sphere box, but you also get the exclusive War Scroll cards that come with the Shadow Sphere box. And something else I'm going to throw in as well. A little special thing. Congratulations, Mr. Scott T. If you'd like to join in and get awesome, cool stuff, sign up for our Patreon. We do a giveaway every month. This month's giveaway for April. I haven't decided what it is yet, but I'm sure it's going to be something cool. Pablo, you really splurged there because they uh, restricted how many of those data sheet cards or data cards you get per box. I think they told us that each store was supposed to get like 20, uh, but instead, I think, yeah, I think each store, we got four. I, uh, 
I just opened uh, recently, my partners and I just opened one, uh, Beach Lab Gaming in Aberdeen, North Carolina, and all the, a bunch of people reserved uh, and whatnot, and everybody scooped them up right away. And let me tell you, there were some sad pandas when we had to like raffle off <laughs> who's going to be the lucky ones to, to get those, uh, those cards. Yeah, yeah, it was. They they definitely pulled a fast one on on all of us, and they said they were going to give us twenty packages, and only gave us two. Um, but yeah, I, I had to snag one for my patron, uh, for Mr. Scott, or for any patron, but Mr. Scott in particular. So congratulations, as always, go to chaptertactics.com or patreon.com/slash/chaptertactics to sign up. Uh, next on the agenda, it is a such a good time to be a nerd right now. There is so much good not just 40k stuff but good non 40k stuff to be excited for in like the next month it is crazy so like 40k tournaments as attendance as at an all-time high i heard through the grapevine that adepticon hit more than 5,000 people i don't know the exact number it might have even been 6,000 people that is insane that is a big number not only that delvio was big and the magic the gathering mythic invitational was this path weekend i know it's magic stuff but Bear with me, they hit over 100,000 people on Twitch uh, on Sunday during the finals, and one of the people playing in the Mythic Invitational had never played a sanctioned game of Magic the Gathering before, which means he was just a guy from like Hearthstone backgrounds and a Twitch gamer who just decided to try and, you know, get invited to this Mythic Invitational, made it all the way to the semifinals, uh, lost unfortunately, um, but to me, that bodes really well because esports is becoming this big thing where you'll have these generalized gamers who are just good at games, right? So, like, maybe in the future, maybe Sean Naden will try his hand at some, like, X-Wing or Privateer Press, or you'll get these guys who have these big gaming channels revolved around tabletop war games and not just 40k. So, it's huge. Every time nerddom, esports, all that stuff goes up, I like to talk about it. Um, it's generally one of my big passions outside of 40k. So I just wanted to give the Magic Gathering Mythic Invitational a shout out. Um, also, if you're not, if you don't, if you're a store, you want to get into Magic, pull the trigger now. They just released a War of the Spark trailer that hit six million views as of this video, not even 24 hours ago. So Magic's blowing up. Also, X-Wing releasing some cool stuff. And finally, in pop culture stuff, we have Game of Thrones in two weeks, the season finale. I know you guys are Game of Thrones fans. So excited. We have the Avengers. Endgame movie coming out, and then my personal favorite, even though I know you guys are going to make fun of you, fun of me, uh, Childhood Pablo is Screaming at Detective Pikachu, a live-action <laughs> Pokemon movie. Live-action Pokemon movie? Yes, I, I know. I'll, I'll I know. make fun of you for that one, because I'm sure he's got lots of thoughts about it. I, I lost, like, half my views there. I don't care. Mr. I'm still, I'm still recovering from, from the world of live-action Dumbo. I don't know that I'm ready for live-action Pikachu. Oh, no. Oh, it's too no. real. It's let me tell you one thing, Val. It is awesome. I, that is that is not an opinion. That is a fact. Moving on. It's a good time it to almost, be a nerd. It Just, almost looks like a kid version of Ted. Yeah. Right. Yeah, almost, like, almost. Yeah. They Juice just needed to have Mark. Mark Wahlberg just needed to be in this. Just to. Uh... <laughs> Just to kind of reinforce what you're saying there, PD, um, we have two uh, two tournaments coming up in April here in Vancouver, and one went from uh, 44 players last year to over 100 this year, and the other one went from uh, 20 to 60. So every tournament that I go to has basically either doubled in size or is selling out in record time, and people are literally not able to go that go every year because they just never buy their tickets quickly. 
and they're all just getting sold out. So every 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 area like Vancouver, West Coast, East Coast, I think it's just crazy how much uh, the tournament attendance is up and how much the hobby is, how popular you know 40k is and and, and all these other hobbies as well. So. And just yeah. so you know, and just so you know, guys, it's not a coincidence that the tournaments Jim goes to have doubled and tripled in size. <laughs> that, that's that's just the power. Of, yeah, it's of all Jim. my it's all my hanger ons and uh, and <laughs> uh, I, I plant a lot of players to, to to throw games to me so I can uh, win win the tournaments. Yeah, you know, I've got right. a little tournament you can come to next year, Jim. It's called uh, it's in Vegas. Uh, maybe you can get us up to sixteen hundred people. That would be fantastic. Just, just attend. Yeah, I, I I went this year, so I'll definitely be back next year. Yes. All right. <laughs> Speaking of tournaments and giving them shout out, I'd like to give a couple <coughs> shout outs to uh, two tournaments that are sponsors of the podcast. First off, the Throne of War GT in Honolulu, Hawaii is all sold out, but Sean, Reese, and myself are going to be attending. I have Sean's ticket literally in the cart. I'm just waiting for a couple little last minute adjustments. Um, finally got the Patreon payment for the month, so Sean is definitely coming. Going to buy his ticket. Uh, Reese and myself were sponsored going there, so it's it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to go out, have a good time, throw some dice in beautiful Honolulu. And finally, the Boise Cup is sponsoring a ticket for us. Uh, I will be attending the Boise Cup. It is sold out, unfortunately, but if you're in the Boise area and you want to come say hi, or if you want to get some last-minute potential tickets for dropouts and such, go to the Boise Cup. And then finally, my favorite event, the Med Hammer GT in Columbia. South America. The first ITC GT event in Colombia, 48 people showed up. Not just people from Colombia, people from Venezuela, Brazil, all over South America showed up for this GT. And uh, Peter has all the lists. Um, I'm sure they're going to be wacky. I have no idea what the South America, South American tournament scene looks like in Meta. Um, but I'm look, you know, totally looking forward to deep diving into that information. Uh, did you guys know that there was a GT in in Colombia, South America, going on? No, but it sounds awesome. Like it's so cool to see the ITC and tournaments in general, like basically on six continents at this point. Yeah, Antarctica, you're next. That's right. Yeah, it's absolutely super incredible that uh, you know. Well, I mean, there was one. Uh, it was it in Brazil, I think, a couple months back. Um, and then, uh, we talked uh, a little bit about, um, uh, there's one coming up in China. They were actually, by the way, some listeners, uh, who are going to that tournament were really thrilled to hear us talking about it. Um, it's just cool. The game is, is, is legitimately global and it's not just, um, it's not just expats playing. There's, there's, you know, lots of people local to the communities and the countries who are getting into 40 K and, and overcoming what I assume are some pretty significant barriers to entry to, to get into this game. So I think that that just speaks to the quality of, of how good 40K is right now and how much fun it is to play. Yeah, and it also speaks to how easy, you know, it, not easy because it's still really hard to run a 40K tournament, but but how much support there is for TOs and for people who are looking to organize 40K games, right? It's not like when it once was before where, where leagues were talking about kind of hidden in the corners of, of random cities um, where league organizers wouldn't share their stuff because they're afraid that whack players would come to their leagues and ruin their FLGs asses. But you know, there's a lot of you know there's it's a lot of uh, information sharing, of course, the digital age. But um, you know, it's just a good time to play 40k right now. It's 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 all awesome. It's all hyping up, and I can't wait for next year when um, I think it's only going to go up. 
Yeah, over the weekend at Adepticon, we had quite a few talks, a lot of individuals, and during one of Sean and I's classes, we actually started talking about what our favorite edition was and things, and some people hadn't really, that were in the class, hadn't been playing since third and fourth and fifth edition, and they took a hiatus, and they just saw that how local game stores weren't just the same people bitching and moaning the whole time. There was actually new blood in there. There was even some of the people that they played with years ago coming back into the hobby. So it is absolutely, uh, you know, I always talk about third and fourth edition as being my absolute favorite. Um, I've even made the realization with myself saying, you want to know what? Maybe third and fourth editions were so amazing because the edition that I was in couldn't compare to it. And it's been so long ago now, I can't tell you that third or fourth edition is better than eighth. I couldn't tell you that right now, right? And they, up until now, there's it's been unquestionable. So I think uh, GW's hit it back on the head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> speaking of hitting it on the head, Adepticon was this past weekend one of the pillars, meccas of 40k gaming. Um, you definitely want to head it, head over to Adepticon if you haven't already. Mr. Jim and Steven, you guys go. I, actually, Jim, I believe this. you said this was your first time, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I actually only got uh, decided to go pretty last minute, like I wasn't planning to go, but uh, a few of my buddies were driving down and offered a, a spot in the hotel room, so Got it nice. Yeah, this uh, is uh, probably my, I think my sixth year now. So it's definitely one of the staples when people talk to me, well, what do you do 40K outside of your event? What's one of your ones you never give up? And Adepticon's it, one of them. All right. Adepticon, you got to attend. There's a lot of good stuff, especially the 40K team tournament. Before we talk about the, I, what I'm sure everyone here is listening to, the reason why they're listening to this podcast, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Robert Monsell, who streamed the final game of uh, the Adepticon 40K Champs. His arm is still probably sore. His phone battery still hasn't fully recovered. I'm sure of it. But he did it. He was a hero. Thank you, Robert, for streaming the final game when GW couldn't. And um, if you guys want to catch that, I'm sure you could probably still find it somewhere on Facebook. Yeah, uh, Robert is a fellow patron over there at Patreon forward slash Battle Brother. And actually, Sean and I, we've got that digital file, and we're going to break down. Matter of fact, uh, JV, we might need to get you on as well, and we're going to break down that game and voice it over, do our own shoutcasting over it uh, with whatever kind of content video-wise that we can because we weren't left with much. So we were so happy that Robert stepped in and, and like you said, uh, sat there and held that camera as long as he could. Uh, one of my favorite things, if, if you guys have, if you're going to watch the video, please do. But make sure you don't skip out on the comments. Some of those guys, it was <laughs> hilarious. Get this man a uh, power pack extension cord for his battery. It was it was pure gold. Yeah, definitely um, got to also shout out to him. Um, I actually just rewatched the like last half an hour of it about an hour ago. And it was really, it was really great to be able to kind of watch that. Uh, relive that experience, which was uh, super crazy to begin with. Um, so hopefully uh, hopefully we can get, uh, get together with our juice and uh, go through it again. In setting up uh, sort of the Adepticon chat, um, I know there's been, well, okay, so I have definitely thrown a little bit of shade, maybe just a slight shade towards Adepticon. It is an older fashioned tournament. It has an unusual format and mission structure. Uh, it's battle points. Uh, you do four four games essentially on a Thursday to then get to a 16-player playoff on the Friday. 
Um, just curious to know uh, if you guys want to talk a little bit about um, the format coming into it, how the terrain actually was. Was it as as bad as 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 and bleak as as maybe I've made it out to be, or others have made it out to be? Um, what was it? What was it like? The actual setup of the event. J- JV, if you want, I'll take it first here. But let me sure. tell you. I'm going to go into this in details on later shows later on this week as well, but you got to give your, everybody has to give a round of applause to Adepticon. Uh, people bitched, they complained, and they listened. Uh, the terrain, you, I walked into that hall on Wednesday evening, right? And I was like, where am I? This isn't Adepticon. This, this can't be the same place. They had brand new sick line of side blocking terrains, brand new large rocks, ruins, you know, bottom levels of ruin don't just block line of sight at Adepticon, right? They don't, they, they haven't adhered to some of those rules that uh, traditionally a lot of people do. But as playing on the top table that, that uh, Jim and I played at, there was uh, good parts of those bottom levels that were completely blocked. And it looked, again, as if it was done on purpose. So as all in all, I have to admit, all the predetermined notions that I had for myself going into it, that I was going to be frustrated about X, Y, Z. Let me tell you, uh, they shored them all up, at least uh, on my end. Yeah, um, I obviously hadn't been to Adepticon, but I've definitely heard horror stories about the, the bowling ball, uh, the bowling lanes of uh, you know each table. And especially, especially when you com- combine that with player place, you end up with you know these tables, which basically might as well not have any terrain. And uh, when I walked into the hall the first night, I was super impressed by uh, you know what I saw, and I was like, "Well, what are people talking about? This this stuff looks fine." And uh, just about every game I played, there was enough there was enough line of sight blocking terrain that even if you didn't say get to place the first one. Or the second one, you could still create some, you know, decent lanes and some decent adding spots. So, um, you know, obviously, I've been coming from a playing a lot of ITC. It definitely didn't have that level of uh, like uh, ter- terrain, but uh, you know, I felt I felt like it was a pretty good improvement uh, based on what I'd heard. So, uh, I was really happy with it. So, based off of tons of feedback I'm getting about both you as players and your lists. Uh, I think the number one question is, is why did you pick your factions? Why did you pick the unit choices that you picked? Um, so I'd like both of you just kind of like to break down your lists for the listeners uh, and, and kind of your decisions um, for picking specific units you did or picking the factions that you did specifically for not just Adepticon, but for the future. Uh, yeah, I can take that. Um, so uh, I, as far as factions, you know, I've always been a chaos player, so... You know, I've kind of through thick and through thin. Uh, I've kind of stuck with chaos. And uh, when I, I started playing at eighth, I hadn't played actually uh, 40k since third edition. Uh, that's how long it had been since I'd played uh, 40k because I used to play a lot of fantasy. So when I got back into eighth edition, uh, I had to play chaos because I've always loved uh, just you know converting and you know doing crazy color schemes. Um, so that was kind of uh, where my 40k I guess path started and. Um, you know, I've been playing kind of probably, I don't want to call it like a net list, but cause my, mine is obviously uh, quite a bit different, but you know, they're pretty standard, uh, plague bears with psychic, uh, support kind of versions of that, uh, most of the season last year. And, uh, to be really honest with you, I didn't actually change. I actually played in a, a dice timer GT like three weeks ago. Uh, and I actually won that GT that was in, uh, Southern California. And, uh, 
I've decided, well, <laughs> I just won a GT with this list, so I'm not going to change it for Adepticon, uh, and I'll see how I, how I do with it. So uh, that was pretty cool to be able to go basically two, two for two uh, for a really difficult GT, actually. Dicehammer, the, the level of play and the, the players there was, was incredible as well. So um, I, I figured don't mess with a good thing. Um, as far as my specifics, uh, you know, I did I had, uh, 60 Plague Bears, which is kind of the core of the list, uh, a few of the support characters, uh, two Demon Princes of Zinch in a Thousand Sons attachment, and a Terminator Sorcerer on foot, and Armand on, on foot as well, and I can I can uh, wax long and hard about uh, whether you should take him on foot or on a disc, there's a, a lot of debate around that, but I definitely feel like on foot is the, the way to go, especially with uh, the terrain rules as they are. And then I rounded that out with uh, 25 Horrors and 15 Bloodletters, uh, a Corn Demon Prince with the Skull Reaver, which is the Corn uh, Axe that basically kills knights, which I'll, I'll tell you about how many knights it took down uh, later in the, the program, I'm sure. Um, and then finally, a which is probably the oddest choice in my list, and people are always look at it and they're like, what is this thing? Love is this a guy. There's a Hellforge Contemptor with uh, two Conversion Beamers. And it's such an odd choice that... Literally every game, I have to explain to people what conversion beamers do because no one has, no one ever plays against them, and they're like, "What do those do?" And I literally have to pull out the rule and show them because it's it's about seven sentences of text, and it's super complicated. And I'm like, "Let me just show you because I'm gonna spend ten minutes explaining it to you, and you're still not gonna know what it does." And uh, and, and I just want to say that was the case almost a year ago when Jim and I played at Beef and Wing. And he said the exact same preamble. I think he's got that rehearsed pretty down pat. And he just punked me with that thing <laughs> after doing exactly that. Talking, for, I went cross-eyed as he was explaining it. And so I'm happy to see him back because he, he left the list uh, for a while, didn't he? Yeah, he left the list uh, for most of the season. And actually with the chapter proof changes, uh, the points actually went down on him. Uh, he dropped about 15 points, which doesn't sound like a lot. But, um, you know, when you're playing, uh, you know... When you're when you're optimizing your list that much, um, he's definitely uh, that 15 points can make a difference. Mm -hmm. uh, he also adds, you know, people always ask me like, well, what does he what does he do for you? And he does the one thing that the rest of my list doesn't, which is touch things farther than 24 inches. Because my whole list basically operates between 18 and 24 inches threat range. So he gives me an ability for uh, certain missions on long table edges and. Uh, it made a huge difference at the last GT when I played a few games Hammer and Anvil in ITC because he can pick up units off objectives. Uh, he's really good at killing uh, lighter tanks, so he can usually pick up Lehman Russes, Ravagers. Uh, he picked up a Dakajet in one, one, one round of shooting. Uh, he's also really good against light infantry, so against Guardsmen, Orcs, Kajitsu Cult. He actually can shred them pretty quickly too with his, uh, his rule. Um, and the other thing about him too, with Adepticon, and this is, I think, something that's really important if you're building a competitive list, which is always understand what is it that the missions are in the, the tournament you're playing in. So with Adepticon, there was two things I knew going in, which was A, the train wasn't great, uh, as we kind of talked about, but B, that three of the four deployments were going to be the long, either Tamernanville, Search and Destroy, or uh, the Diagonal one. So knowing that, that meant that six of my potential eight games were going to have a lot of, I could put a lot of distance between myself and the opponent. And on the other two games that's random, I had a 66% chance to also be playing one of those long deployments. So I actually ended up playing one game, Frontline Assault, 
but everything else was on a very long deployment. And the conversion beamer with a 72 inch range, it really, really uh, made its, you know, it's, it, it paid itself back, you know, tenfold because it's, I can just put it on the very back corner of my, uh, my board edge and no one's going to come after it because then they have to kind of go into the, uh, the danger zone of my army, which is that kind of 18 to 24 inch range. And uh, they're going to die really quickly if they do that. So it basically only died one game to the Castellan on the frontline assault uh, uh, game I played, but uh, that game didn't end up it didn't end up mattering because my corn prince then went and killed three knights by himself, which was amazing. So <laughs> one one unique thing too about the um, way that especially at the list design phase and and Juice can touch on this too when he goes over his list is you like 40k doesn't have a sideboard but we have relics we have warlord traits we have psychic powers all those things can be used to tailor your list at the table to the opponent Adepticon said no you can't do that so you had to actually pick things um, how stressed out were you when you were sort of making those those hard calls so for me like so I obviously have yeah, I, I play. It's, it's actually funny because um, when people see my army, it's got probably around 130 models, and I have about 13 psychic casts a turn. Um, they kind of think, oh, you know, this guy's going to take a while. He's probably a slow player. But I've I've probably cast, you know, smite 2,000 times in the last uh, six months. So my psychic phases are actually super quick, and the order of spells that I have and which spells that I take, you know, I I take almost the exact same loadout every game. And only in one game during all of Adepticon did I use my Chaos Familiar stratagem to switch out a spell. Um, so I actually didn't really affect me at all. And I didn't, I didn't, because I took all the spells that I would just normally take. I didn't, I didn't try to, you know, change them up. Um, the relics, same thing. Like I just took the same two relics that I always take. So for me, it didn't really make a big difference. Um, I think, you know, there's only so many good Chaos relics anyways. So. It's not like uh, you can switch out to a Relic of Lost Cadia when you're playing Chaos or something like that um, if you're Imperium, so you don't have that option. Um, so I definitely feel like it didn't affect me that much, and I think certain armies that do rely more on Relics, it would because, you know, if you take, uh, you know, if you take, like, Call's Wrath against me, it's kind of pointless because, you know, everything's got uh, one wound anyways. So, um, you know, people that did end up stuck with those, those Relics, uh, I think it actually makes it a little bit better. I don't like the reasoning for it, and I talked to Jason about it, which was to speed up the game. I don't actually think that that pre-selection really adds much more than two minutes to any game anyways. So I didn't like that. The reason that they do that is to speed up the game. Um, I didn't I didn't necessarily think agree that that was like necessary, I guess. So, <clears throat> Juice. You decided to go with Gene Circle. Uh, you've traditionally went with Astro Militarum, Gene Circle in the past, or Astro Militarum first, and then then moving over to Gene Circle. Uh, Jeff is on record last week saying that he doesn't like Gene Circle, and that it's actually uh, to Jeff um, maybe a, a weaker codex or a perceived weaker codex than than what um, other people thought it was originally. Uh, after your Adepticon performance, how do you feel about the faction now, and um, uh, why did you go with the list that you picked? Okay, so yeah, Jeff absolutely has made his uh, point known on how he feels about the army. So so is uh, Nick Rose, who is potentially last season the number one uh, GSC player that there that there was. So you know, both those guys saying those things, I'm like, man, what what am I seeing in this book that these guys aren't right? Uh, because I value both of their opinions, fellow Team USA members, right? I'm like. Man, what is going on in my playtest? They're doing amazing. 
So uh, to put a little understanding going into Adepticon, right, I made a point. When that book came out, right, uh, it was LVO weekend. I'll, I'll never forget this weekend because I was actually was so involved with the Castellan and the Guard and how I was moving forward with that and then so involved with what was going on at LVO itself that I didn't even open that book for like four days during that entire LVO and four or five days up until afterwards. The second I opened it, it was on like Donkey Kong. Um, I think <laughs> JV's JV's game and I, when we played, I think that marked like 63 games that I've played in just under five weeks with this army. Um, I made a point to say that I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna go down this path, and uh, with opening the game store and part of what I do there is uh, community relations and getting involved. I'm like, you know, I've, I've went to a lot of RTTs in the last four weeks, um, so. I was able to basically already play test through a lot of the stuff that people are picking up the book and maybe looking at and saying, is it good or bad? And I know that these guys also as well, but like the, the product that I have left over, I've fell in love with acolytes, rock sauce, right? I had, um, so a true story as well in a GW hard case, I've had almost 110 acolytes fully painted in that beautiful yellow that you saw on the table at oh, Adepticon, ready to go. It's been sitting for years. Shout out my dad hooked me up with them, right? Like, so this army has been something that has been a, a passion of mine for a while. It's just, so it's been sitting. So I knew it's not like I own, you know, bike, or I owned, you know, 120 neophytes and said, I'm going to make these work. I was, went down the path and say, I'm going to play these acolytes. I played with my GS or my NIDs, you know, before I started playing Astro Militarum and stuff. So um, I think the list is amazing. Uh, I actually built it for ITC uh, somewhat as uh, Jim did as well and didn't really make any changes switching it over to Adepticon. I'm like, if it can do well at more of a complex mission structure where you do have a lot of things going on every turn, not just once you finish the secondary, it's basically done for the rest of the game and you can kind of double down focus on getting just either progressive points or keeping your units alive until the end of game because that that's really the only things that those missions did is you had three small things to do throughout and never once did I keep up with killing 1200 points in my opponent's army because I knew that I would just automatically do that or I would have already lost the game and I don't care right um but so the list can uh, how, how I put it together was a battalion brutzer detachment coming out of Vigilus which had a icon ward that gave me uh, the reroll advance, reroll charge, and then I had a primus coming out of there. I had two units of fatty rock saws that had eight rock saws in each. 20 guys, eight rock saws and a banner times Jeez. two. Yeah, and then uh, for anybody who doesn't know, that damn rock saw, they have base two attacks. They're not minus one to hit, right? And it's strength eight, uh, minus four, two fly damage. Right. That is pretty much unbelievable tabling kind of firepower. Right. Like in close combat, considering GSC is one of the has some of the best buffs in the game uh, hitting on uh, an additional plus. Like I'm hitting on twos, reroll ones uh, with the vigilance attachment. I have the access to the stratagem that gives me plus one to wound so I can hit anything on the game. Pretty much on twos, reroll ones, wound pretty much on twos, reroll ones if the Primaris is around. And I decided to use elected uh, to get plus one to, or reroll ones to wound against it because of his ability. So then I have um, a 
two screen killing units. These are some of my favorite ones. They are just a 17 man unit, um, excuse me, 18 man unit of acolytes with just rending claws. And then my favorite unit, the hidden gem in the book, in my opinion, is a 10 man metamorph squad that has uh, an acolyte banner and um, basically five attacks each. These 10 dudes come in for 120 points and they hit on twos and reroll ones with nobody's help around, no characters, strength four at five base attacks each. Now, the metamorphs are the the close combat acolyte hybrids, right? Yep. Yeah. They. Uh, what's crazy is they can have access to the hand flamers if you really want. They can have access to things. They just can't have those big rock saws. They can't have those big mining lasers and stuff like that. Uh, it's all just close combat bone swords and things. It's crazy uh, to think that legitimately you pick up fifty people. Ask me, is like, what do those ten guys do? And I'm like, they swing fifty one attacks. Uh, hitting on twos, reroll ones. That's strength four. All right, let alone if I throw some buffs around, let alone if they're within the Acolyte Ward at that plus one strength or I cast another ability on them. They really get uh, get in work, uh, do a lot of work considering I'm a turn three army. Everybody thinks that you got to come in on turn two against GSC with GSC. I use them to clear the screens, have perfect advance with them, you know, and whatnot. Uh, and then I have uh, a Killer Morph, or excuse me, a Clamavis and that. Uh, in my entire list, there's two Glamophysis. Uh, those are the ones that give me the plus one inch to charge. And uh, there's a 12 inch bubble that says no deep strike. So that is massive against the orc matchups and things like that. They want to jump around you and do things. Um, so then I have a full brigade to fill out to make sure I have a million command points. Uh, it works out to be the Killer Morph Assassin, um, four or five-man squads of Acolytes to fill in troops, and then uh, the most important things outside of the Mortars and stuff and the Patriarch and have all the casters and stuff, but is the uh, my legendary 12-man bike unit. It's 10 new bikes. Right, the jackals that have all ten of them have demo charges. Then I have not just that. I know you guys talked about it on the last show, but one of the the in my opinion, one of the best units involved with them is the quad, the four wheelers with a heavy flamer on them. That's a twelve inch heavy flamer, not nine or not eight inch. So when they come in and they do their their shooting, they you get basically four d six heavy flamer shots because you're going to shoot with them in the movement phase and the uh, in the shooting phase. So uh, for twenty nine points, it's an absolute steal for four wounds, twelve inch heavy flamer and a shotgun. Um, and it's a four wheeler and looks badass. It yeah, looks absolutely. badass. It, Val, you're right. If I didn't have to say <laughs> anything else, it's fucking badass, right? I should have just led with that, you know. <laughs> but uh, so yeah, so there's the list. Uh, I am so in love with it. It's a I call it a glass nuclear bomb. It's not a glass hammer, right? It's a glass nuclear bomb. If they touch something, um, they just pick up models and droves. I don't care what they are, right? Um, but they can't. They die with by wet noodles right like uh die like anything so that's why uh pablo I actually put myself on a strict no drinking policy while i was playing adepticon i was like i cannot be any form of inebriated and get loose with this army because the second i do i will be outside of a bubble i will be i will overextend i'll forget something and then next thing i know i've lost my entire army and just, I just so you guys know <laughs> and how hard they hit yes <laughs> um just just so you guys know this is what makes an ETC like caliber player, right? That Juice lost this game, like the final game, and he's could have easily won the game, I'm sure. Um, he's a phenomenal player. Just making those kind of little decisions like that, I, I just, I just, 
it's 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 a small decision um but it really sets like some of the best players apart from other players it's not just making decisions not to drink um but just little decisions like the 65 games in 5 weeks um which is something not a lot of people do uh that kind of sets players up so if it, you know a question i get asked all the time like how do i win tournaments how do i do well how do i get into the etc team just listen to juice talk again rewind 15 minutes 10 minutes back uh, and just listen to him talk again. Yeah. Also, I I just love this list because there's nothing cute about it. Like nope. obviously there's <laughs> there's uh there's a lot of tricks in it, but man, it's it's lean and mean. Like you're really keying on some you know uh, you know unit archetypes that you particularly you know saw the value in, and uh, it it just like you said, it's going to hit like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Uh, so Pablo, thank you by the way. First off, uh, that is something that we get asked a lot as well, right? Uh, how do I win a tournament? How do I do it? And, uh, you know, practice and preparation is huge. Like that sounds almost like a spiel that you would say in an, a, a business board meeting. Right. But like, think about how much time that we spend, uh, getting ready for an event via painting, making money so we can travel there, getting other things ready, right? Like buying our shirts and getting our team together. It's like, why blow all that? Right. While you're at the table and doing things. Believe me, I do that. I, I go to events and everybody knows they were actually shocked. People were buying me drinks left and right. And I'm like, guys, today, not drinking. <laughs> you know, this is uh, I'm not playing three Castellans. Right. Like I'm not playing this and that. But um, Val, I couldn't agree more like that's I've actually talked with a lot of GSE players. And what they're doing is, is they're bringing some cute stuff. They're bringing 20 man this and neophytes and hand flamers. I'm like, all oh, that is hot garbage. Like I'm bringing hammers. That's it. I have no fat in my list. The only fat that I have is to hold objectives and the obligatory units that are required upon me to fill in brigades. Everything else has a role and is a hammer. Like uh, it is n no cuteness whatsoever. Just mouth punching stuff until they get punched back. <laughs> so sorry. So you you we have your lists. Both of you made day two. Top 16, uh, briefly talk about, you, you know, your games in the top 16, kind of the drama, um, who you played, uh, you know, just give people a picture of what it's like to make the day two, because uh, obviously day two wasn't as covered as, as day one. So I think, I think there was a lot of stuff in there that, that maybe we missed out on that normally we like to listen to, especially that, that day two drama that I know a lot of people live for. Yeah, I can, um, <clears throat> I can start, uh, so my goal coming to Adepticon was to make day two. Um, obviously, you know, I, I've really only been playing uh, competitively for the last, uh, like seriously, the, eight or, the last eight or nine months. Um, I've always been probably like uh, a lot closer to juice with, uh, you know, way too many drinks uh, during during the day. Some, sometimes I wouldn't even make day two because, uh, you know, I'd kind of, that would kind of carry me into the night. So, you know, I really wanted to focus on my competitive play this year and, so, um, you know, making day two, I was super excited. Uh, I played a really, really tough game four against Orcs uh, to make into the top. And so I was super excited about that. And my first game um, was against, uh, I can't remember the, I think it was Tyler DeVries uh, from Beast Coast, but he was playing uh, four knights. And to be honest, it was, uh, it was progressive objectives and he had four knights. And I have, you know... 130 models of plague bearers and uh, the corn prince who basically uh within four turns killed three knights by himself like I, i'd soften them up a little bit but he just didn't have the um he just didn't have the, the board presence to to stop me and he had no sniping ability so 
Uh, I just, you know, ran up the corn prints in a pocket of plague bears, popped them out, killed the knight, rinse and repeat, um, and ended up killing all four knights by turn five, I believe, uh, including the Castellan. So that was uh, that was a, you know, not a super difficult game for me. Uh, that was a really good matchup for me, and so <clears throat> uh, that set me up for my third game. Or sorry, my second game there, and. This was actually, I played, uh, I can't remember the gentleman, the, recall the gentleman's name, and I apologize if I forgot your name, because I literally played, I think between us, we probably played uh, 36 hours of 40k in in like 38 hours of, of life, so um, <clears throat> I played uh, the guy that actually beat Nick, so he was playing um, a shooty orc was a hero. Sorry? This guy was a hero. There's an orc <laughs> chat I'm in. We were, yeah. we were, uh, so I can't recall his name. There, there were some I... conflicted Canadians when that match, matchup got pulled up. Oh. Yeah, he had... Um... Sorry, go ahead, PD. I was just laughing. Oh, yeah. Um, so he had uh, he had two Gargans, like 90 Grots, a loot, like a 25-man Lutabomb, and then the Relic Shock Top Gun, which is absolutely ridiculous. I just want to point that out. Um, the 60-inch range, like, nonsense. Um, and basically I got first turn and there's some uh, advantageous terrain and <clears throat> he failed a few crucial to jumps to, cause I, I managed to pin a lot of his army in combat, um, with my plague bear. So he couldn't shoot much. And then, uh, my horrors came down and basically picked up 60 grots in a turn and a half. And my corn prince picked up a Gorkonaut turn two. Uh, and I smite, I managed to psychic out all the Ludas, which was, uh, which was really nice. Cause I put a giant piece of line of sight blocking terrain literally right in the middle of the table. And that's a good thing to, to, to understand with Adepticon, with a player place terrain, because you know your, the, how the deployments are going to go, you can actually deploy the deploy the terrain in a way. So even though there's not a lot of line of sight blocking, if you know that you're going to be playing, say, Hammer and Anvil, you can literally put the line of sight blocking pieces right in the middle of the table. And so that does actually help mitigate some of the line of sight issues if because you're able to do that. So it's definitely something to keep an eye on. And I think a lot of players maybe don't think enough about the player place terrain. Like uh, my first game, actually, someone, they kind of looked at the table. They're like, are you cool the way it is? And I was like, yeah, that's fine. Like, we don't need to change anything. It's it's fine. But um, in, once we got in the top eight or top 16, every piece of terrain I knew was going to make a piece of, make a huge difference in the game. And so making sure that you're very deliberate with where each piece of terrain goes and where the objective markers are going to go often is something that you really need to focus on because you want to put pieces of terrain on top of where objective markers are going to go so you have cover uh, regardless of which side you get. So just those little things, if you're not paying attention to them in those competitive games, can cost you the game. Yeah, and that's one of those those intricacies that I, I do kind of miss. Um, uh, you know, down here in ITC and especially at Frontline Gaming events, uh, we don't have a lot of player place terrain. Um, so, so I do kind of miss that kind of like game before the game, so to speak, but but there is a lot of stuff in there, especially with like objective placed player place objectives and player place terrain on top of that. Um, I just wanted to say that real quick. Yeah. And then, um, so we played the game. Uh, it, it got a little contentious at the end, but um, you know, I ended up pulling that one out thanks to uh, just some really creative wrapping of uh, his orcs with um, you know, my army and making sure I stopped those, those the jumps. So he couldn't pull his models out of combat basically, you know, won me that game. Uh, he did pick up 20, 25 or 30 plague bears on his first turn of shooting, which was concerning. Um, but I deep struck the other blobs, so they were super fresh when they dropped in. And then my third game, probably uh, my second favorite game in the tournament, 
um, besides my game with Juice, which was against uh, Chris Blackham. And he's the guy that actually took out Sean Naden. So I got to give him mad, mad thank you and congratulations because Sean's list absolutely terrifies me. And uh, we actually played in, uh, at the uh, uh, tournament a little while ago, me and Sean. Um, I think it was uh, the Golden Sprue Cup in uh, New York. And he, he came first, Sean came first, and I came second with a very similar list. And I knew, I was like, if I play Sean, I will get tabled because his list literally has everything you need to destroy my army. It's got snipers, it's got psychic, it's got shooting, it's got combat. And uh, when I found out that he had lost to Chris, I literally gave the guy a hug because I was like, you're you're my hero right now because I did not want to play Sean <laughs> Naden. Uh, and obviously Sean is probably one of, if not one of the best Warhammer players in the world. So, um, you know, having him and Nick out of the tournament uh, I'm sure made me made me feel pretty good. I don't know how it made you feel, Juice, but uh, definitely made me feel a lot better about going into the top four. Yeah, Sean is uh, Sean's my boy, so I did not want him to lose. But uh, yeah, shout out uh, Sean and Chris Blackham both are Team Battle Brother members, and so it's actually pretty cool uh, to see all of us do so well. Um, yeah, and it's okay, JV. You can just say like Sean Naden's the best 40k player in the history of ever. He, <laughs> He's definitely the most consistent, if, if not yeah. that. Yeah, dudes, um, So Chris's like, uh, list – sorry, go ahead. Oh, no. No, continue. Chris had the uh, – I don't want to call it a typical, but he had a uh, pretty heavy flyer list. I think he had six flyers and uh, three Ravagers. So it was a very, very nasty army. Um, and I could, and he had also some uh, – the uh, Windriders, so scat bikes. And so it, it kind of gave me uh, – you know some 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 shades of uh, Alex Harrison's list at uh, at LVO final. Um, this was my, by the way, this was my archetype pick. I, I had totally forgotten about Plague Bears. This was my archetype pick to win Adepticon. So I'm watching this, rooting for you, but also wanting to be right. So this was another conflicted moment for me. So this was a crazy game because it was endgame objectives, and you know I got to give a shout out to Brandon Grant because he inspired me. Uh, you know, thinking back to his LVO win, and I looked at this list and I said, "There's no way I'm going to be able to to like beat this guy if I try to you know chase him around the board. I got to just survive and just jump on these objectives, turn six, and that's the only way I'm going to win this game. Because if I try to you know get cute and get fancy and try to get too aggressive, I'm going to lose. So, um, like once again, the Corn Prince uh, managed to uh, jump out of the pocket." pop two razor wings by fighting twice in one turn i managed to smite off a few of the planes pretty early in one turn i think i killed four planes which was like a huge swing and uh, i managed to wrap uh a few of his scouts with with a lot of janky moves um and literally that's what happened so at the end of the game i had i think five characters left a unit of brimstones and uh one like eight blood letters and everything else was dead but i managed to i had bottom turn so Turn six, sure enough, everything runs out of the, the, the bushes and jumps on objectives. And, uh, you know, that was the game. And I got to really give props to Chris because he was an excellent opponent. And, uh, you know, we both, there's both moments where we could have gotcha each other. And, you know, we both were like, like at one point, for instance, he was moving all his stuff to shoot my characters. And he had totally forgotten about a unit of Nurglings behind a piece of cover. And so I was like, hey, man, I don't want to gotcha you, but don't forget there's Nurglings here because... I know you're trying to like move stuff around to shoot my characters, but you won't be able to. And uh, there's another time that he did that to me, so I got to give him a shout out because he was a great opponent um, leading up to the final. And so, 
at that point, honestly, I didn't even care if I won the final. I was ecstatic to be there. And, uh, you know, I, I knew uh, uh, Steven was a really good player. So, uh, and I had only played one game against the New Gene Sierra Cult. So I was, I was like, you know what? I'm going to lose this game if, like, I could, I'll probably get gotcha'd a few times. So I spent the hour in between doing as much studying as I could. And uh, I guess I, I guess I did just enough. Yeah, a- absolutely. So going into uh, day one, had some amazing games. Going into day two, I knew that it was going to be a slugfest. And also I want to talk about placement, where we were in the con. Traditionally, at Adepticon, you're going to be way in the back. You're going to be, um, you know, in between 40K friendlies and long war and anything else in the front. And then uh, they'll be like, I don't know, some other small game that people play, maybe Patrol or Combat Patrol or something like that. And then there's this weird area that no one really hangs out because nothing's going on. They put up ropes and stuff and has everybody play back there. Well, this year, how the seating worked out. The top 16 um, were front row right when you walk into the front door. So uh, after the first round, uh, my first round, I had Justin Cook playing Tao. Uh, I think he had uh, three hammerheads, two sky rays, uh, long strike. I mean, just a lot of firepower, a lot of SMS missiles. But um, again, it was uh, advantageous mission set up for me. Yes, I can pin them back in a corner uh, with the bikes, with assaulting. I don't even necessarily need to kill everything uh, that I touch because my bikes did whiff kind of a little bit, but I can just, I have all these little MSU units that can pop up wherever they need to be for the most part. Uh, and I score my points and I move on and that's kind of the grind fish, right? Uh, so that was day one or that was round one, but then judges come over. This was actually one of my favorite parts of the event is that uh, judges come over and say, Hey, we're going to do our best to move you guys to the back. And uh, some of the people that were sitting right around there was like, yeah, 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 we should probably be in the back, you know, so it's not as quiet. And, and I spoke up, it's like, no, we're right where we belong. <laughs> we, we deserve, we are supposed to be the people's champs. We deserve to be right here in the middle so everybody can see. Right. So, um, with, with that being said, uh, second round, uh, I played, uh, a personal great friend of mine, um, uh, Thomas Bird. Coming out of the South Carolina area, uh, pretty much uh, a stone. The legendary away. Thomas Bird. That's right. That's right. Uh, the tallest 40K player in the history of ever. Uh, but um, he doesn't know if he wants to roll sixes or slam dunk, you know, on somebody. <laughs> but, Probably doesn't. You can do both. Yeah. There's, at there's at a the hoop same there. time. Yeah. So um, he brought a list that obviously brought him to the to five and oh at the time. Right. He's playing straight ultramarines. He's got uh, those Vex Vexilla Guard or whatever they're called. Um, He's got two Forge World tanks. Does anybody know the name of those damn things? Which ones? The Venator. The Venator. Venator Yes. 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 He has two of those of the Sakarian platform. Yep, exactly. Uh, he's got a indestructible uh, good guy, contem- not contemptor pattern dreadnought. Excuse me. A uh, the with the storm star cannons, Leviathan. I guess the Leviathan. Yes, yeah, thank Leviathan. you. Right, and he's got these little scout unit elements and stuff, and it's pretty much an army that consists of four units and then small MSU uh, space runes. And you would think to yourself, like, how did Thomas get here? And it's like, first off, he's an amazing general from the South that we have. Uh, Dude has always known for that, that entire camp. They're always known for thinking outside the box. Uh, 
uh, they get all their play testing in and stuff. And so I'm not surprised when I saw him, you know, that him and I got paired up, but, and he, he drew me down. Let me tell you, it was an amazingly tight game. Uh, some of those elements just were yeah, grueling. Let me tell you, he was ready. Those, uh, tanks put in the Lord's work, right? He wanted to play against Eldar Flyers. He wanted to play against Castellans. Uh, that contender, or excuse me, that Leviathan dread with uh, plus one toughness and uh, minus one to hit because of Tiggy and all these other things, uh, five up uh, mortal wound, feel no pain. And uh, it's, it's really, really durable. But so it was in the game. So it was a slugfest, and I'm losing units, and I failed some charges, and he did some good things, and we're going back and forth. But at the end of the day, I've got, um, as in standard most of my games, I've got 500 points in my, my corner, 700 points in my corner, just chilling, not doing anything. And then I bring a rock tall unit in, and I do all these close combat, but I will immediately start putting things up and down in reserve, right, just waiting. Like I'm ready for the end of the game, and I had bottom of turn. Right. So uh, I pin you in your corner. I pin you in your corner. Don't allow you to leave. I interact and get my secondaries. Uh, and then if it, you're telling me it's an end of game mission and I have bottom of turn and I can put a 20 man unit out uh, to be where I need to uh, be, you know, it's it's it, it was it, the score wasn't pretty indicative of, of how the actual game went. Uh, then I played uh, mean. Steve Pamperine, guy's an animal, a great player. He's one of the ETC members from the winning team last year. I played his legendary orc list, and man, is it scary. Not only uh, orc boys bother me sometimes as being GSE, because any time that they touch a unit, it dies, but uh, he's smart enough. doesn't matter if they have choppas or not, right? So it's like if that extra attack or whatever the choppa does for them, why even take it, not just take all sluggas or all shooter boys? Because now uh, if he puts himself in the right position, he can to jump somewhere, blast down with guns and firepower, kill one unit, uh, one of my important units, and then charge another one. So one of the things that GSC is really good at is the give and take. If you have three units that you'll win a game with and I have five, I'll win. Right, because I know that I can do the layer threat, and I can I'll sacrifice most of my units for yours. Uh, but in this case, it was a little different. Um, uh, again, it was in the game mission, and I was able to win the role to to have the bottom of turn. So I do my standard. He's layering me out. I am getting in his deployment zone. But at the end of the day. Um, him having to be able to chew through all my units and stuff and we're on chess clock, he uh, ate up a lot of time on turn three. He put a hurt on me, right? But it did. I forced him to take up a lot of that time. So uh, we ended. So, sorry to interrupt you there, but you mentioned the chess clock. Um, was that just an agreement that you guys had made to play on a clock? Yes. So uh, top 16 said that if any person wanted to be on a clock, uh, that the both people had to use it and they had to abide by the rules. Uh, and actually, Steve is the one who opted to say, I want to be on a clock. So I said, believe me, brother, I do as well. Um, he was surprised to see that uh, it's something that I say and people think that I'm kind of full of shit about it. But I'm like, I will deploy and my entire first turn will be done in under three minutes. I'll deploy my entire army. I don't care what my opponent does. Uh, JV can attest to it, right? Like, I don't care. I'm putting my entire army up. Uh, and I don't move anything basically on turn one against uh, – it's the one out of eight games I did a little different that we'll talk about in a second with, with Jim. But um, I don't do anything. Nobody comes in. I shoot nine mortars as they sit. If they're not in range, I don't touch them, and I pass the clock back over. Uh, because there, I'm even uh, vowed 
during the games, I will not roll Overwatch. I will not move units. I will not do things because I know when I'm on a clock and I have the ability to put units in reserve and I have the ability to come in and out of the game and I need to make plays where I want, I will sacrifice multiple things during a game to, to ensure that on turns five, I have 17 minutes left and my, you know, I don't, I don't care what my opponent has because I know that if I get my minutes, I have a better chance of winning the game. And that's a really tough skill to learn, especially when you've got these high model count armies. I remember for the longest time, Brandon Grant had a legitimate slow play chess clock problem uh, where he would shoot, you know, 100, 120 lasgun shots into like a land raider or something that you obviously couldn't hurt with the lasgun shots. And he'd fire overwatch. He'd make sure every single last guardsman made its points back in one way or another. He was super efficient. Uh, And then one day when we were playing, I was like, hey, Brandon, why don't you just, you know, not not uh shoot this unit you know it'll save you like 10 15 20 seconds but then turn three four and five you also won't have to shoot that unit because you really don't need to shoot them uh and then he just over time became he was already beastly back then too but became the the efficient beast that he is now uh and and it's you know sometimes you do sometimes you need to use the time efficiently Uh, and that's just something that a lot of people don't really do because you know they're so caught up in this idea to move everything and, and use everything that you can. You don't want to forget anything. Um, That's yeah, you're completely right, Pablo. Right. So, um, and one of the things that is really important specifically on uh, GSC, Gene Sailor Colt is that you need to be fast because at certain moments you need to stop. You need to take a deep breath and you need to look at the board and say, all right, now I use this stratagem. I do this. I, you, I engage this combo. I've already used the bikes. I've already, you know, Jesse James has come in. I've already done this or that. Now what will put me in the best situation to win the game? And if I have to make those, you know, judgment calls and now I am stressed about the clock because I decided to move in advance and uh, uh, shuffle and Ricky Bobby power slide some bikes that were useless. They could have just sat there for three turns because I already had a unit on. Like all those are dumb moves, right? Because I need to make sure when it's time for me to use my my toys that I, I've set myself up for success, right? So um, and that's that's kind of what happened in the uh, Pampreen game where if I, I had bottom a turn. Um, if he didn't have, if he had bottom a turn, I honestly believe that he would have been a little more cautious of his clock, but he knew that because I was basically playing the game, uh, again, with only 1400 points, because I was keeping an entire rock saw unit and all my other stuff I deployed chilling in the back. And I'm just playing with, you know, 1400 because I knew that I didn't game and I can just pop up and, you know, move on to objectives late. So he was really trying to utilize everything he could to cripple me. So, um, I would have to start playing with my reserves. Um, so I think that's what happened. And then again, we lead up. And so, uh, to put a little bit into perspective as well, we did, uh, JV and I did back-to-back games, right? So round two and round three, there's no break in between. You, you, you played and you immediately to the next one. It was tough, right? So, I mean, this is already on the eve. That is the finish at the end of that seventh game. That was, you know, seven times two hours and 45 minutes of games and back-to-back over, over two days with no break in between, no dinner. Right. And so, um, we looked, we both finished early. And uh, they said the next round starts at like 7.15, something like that. There's like 25, 30 minutes in between. And uh, and they're like, if you guys want to go ahead and start, and we both almost simultaneously looked at each other and we're like, I mean, normally I'm a, uh, a pretty, you know, go get them type of person. But I was like, 
I could use 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like there, there's no, there's not a game five today. So let's just not rush into this thing, you know, right away. Yeah. My, uh, I remember like I literally just finished setting up my army again and they're like, all right, the round starts in a minute after round two. And I was just like, are you kidding? Uh, like 15 minutes. Like, yeah. They're like, no, that's the schedule. But I was like, well, you guys make the schedule. Like there's no, re- there's no one else here. Like why can't you guys just push it? So, and I agree with, uh, with juice there, which is, you know, I think uh, managing that chess clock is so important um, and understanding when to, when to actually roll dice and when not to. Um, as far as like uh, the break in between, I mean, that was, that probably saved my life. Um, you know, I had a, I had a Gatorade, a few Advil, uh, you know, I just sat there. I didn't even, I didn't even do anything. I just sat there and relaxed for 15 minutes and, uh, you know, got ready for it. But uh, I think, that was probably, the, I mean, if you think about it, we played eight games in 24 hours. So yeah. that's yeah. basically um, a little over 24 hours. Like, we, we, you know, we probably, for 36 hours, 10 of it, we didn't play 40K, and then the rest was all 40K. So yeah. that's, a, that's grueling. Like, four games in one day is really tough, especially at that competitive level where you literally feels like your brain is about to explode because you're thinking so hard. Good thing you went to the Charity Hammer training camp. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so, oh. Okay, so so we're here. We've we've come full circle. You guys are relaxing, taking your fifteen minute break before the final game. Uh, I'm assuming you've had a chance to either look at each other's lists or or put a little bit of thought into the matchup ahead. Um, so what was going through your minds going into the final game, looking at each other's list? Uh, you know, what, what what were some things you were worried about in each other's lists? Uh, what were some strengths? Did you did you feel confident? Um, what were the mindsets there? Um, I think for me, the biggest thing was, so I, I, you know, I knew, I knew the things that I was really scared of, which was the Keller morph. And I'm sure we'll get into that later. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I realized I'm not going to be able to learn how to beat Gene Cults in 20 minutes. So instead of trying to change how I'm playing or totally change my game plan, I'm going to stick to the game that I know and play the game the way that I have been playing it the last seven games, last you know 20, 20 tournament games, and play my game. And at the end of the day, not try to be too cute or try to do any sort of like, you know, counters or anything that's like, you know, thinking that, oh, if I start playing differently, I can come up with some, you know, uh, crazy strategy. Because I knew, you know, at the end of the day, like there was no amount of studying I could do that was going to get me there. Um, I was I was really relieved to see he didn't have a Sanctus in there with the sniper rifle that kills psychers, and I was uh you know usually when I play Genesis Cults I'm uh, playing a bit of a soup so I usually play against uh, aberrants and you know make maybe some Kraken Sealers so seeing that pure Genesis Cult list um, you know it was the first time I played pure Genesis Cult like that and I just knew I had to uh, I had to survive basically because I knew that they're they're at the end of the day they're guardsmen. Right, they're they're really really scary guardsmen, but they still die like guardsmen. And so I knew if I could, you know, eat eat the punch, um, I might have a chance. And uh, uh, I'm sure we'll get into the actual game, but uh, that's that's basically what happened. So yeah, so I am very versed, and I've been blessed again with so many test plays. I have played very similar uh, chaos face marine and demon style lists. Uh, whether it's Magnus and Morty and Aramon and with two princes with 30 pinks or whether it's 60 plague bears, three plague bears crawlers, you know, and whatnot. But nobody that had 
this exact configuration, right? Um, and I am a big advocator for the Plague Bears, the Pinks, and then one of my favorite units actually in uh, JV's list is the Bloodletters. Man, do I love those, right? And that that helps in so many matchups, right? That helps in the Orc matchup. That helps in, uh, obviously, the GSC matchup. And so um, it, that unit in particular uh, was one of my downfalls, right? Because I overestimated um, on losing a foothold in his deployment zone or in his bottom left corner uh, because that's where I decided to strike from. And uh, I basically left a unit of... Uh, rock saws to basically fend for themselves versus the pinks um, in, a, in a whole nother combat. And uh, so either way, um, if you want to talk, we can go ahead and jump right in. Um, I had uh, PD Bob, if that's okay. Yeah. So uh, we rolled out and we're on chess clocks. And again, first off, I just want to say as a finals game, the probably one of the things that I'm uh, frustrated the most about that this game wasn't, wasn't uh, recorded in some form or fashion shy of uh, Robert doing his thug thizzle was the fact that how Jim and I handled ourselves on the table, how, you know, two high level players are not at each other's throats. You know, it is just the absolute most relaxing game that I played out of all eight. One of the best games that I've played in a long time where I didn't feel like my opponent was out to get me. I didn't feel, you know, this or that. Like at the end of the day, you know, I, I've taken hard stances against certain things in this game. Uh, and I believe that there was a major disservice done that that the world, right, and the 11,000 people that watched the LVO finals couldn't see, right, just how two individuals weren't just playing 40K methodically or weren't just uh, getting irritated with one another, right? They were laughing and helping one another and talking things out and really going. And the entire time, neither one of us were behind on the clock. We actually went through all five turns and at the fifth turn, I called it. Um, and we both had 11 and 17 minutes left. So, but either way, uh, we deployed um, pretty standard, as you can imagine that JV would deploy. And then uh, I did my standard. I don't care what my opponent does whatsoever. I'm putting nine mortars here. I'm putting my obligatory units out. I put my blips out for the three most expensive units I put in reserve. Um, and then I won the roll to go first. This is um, progressive objectives. And I knew it was actually really important that I won that roll. I did not want uh, JV to get uh, a hold on those progressive objectives before I had a chance to come dig him out. Um, and so there's did only maybe like, four or five times. I did not. Okay. Nope. It was the nope. last game that I got seized on. I yep. feel like I got seized on every other game in the, in the tournament. So I can't remember. <laughs> yep. No, I just won and uh, you didn't seize on me. And so we... I'm going, and it doesn't happen very often, but I end up deploying my my bikes right out of the blip, and I end up moving them and getting them involved in the game right away. Now, when that happens, as a GSC player that does a couple things, that, that knows that nets me uh, 5 CP in my back pocket because I don't have to wait for them to come in. I don't have to w spend a, a perfect uh, ambush and a lurk to show up two or three inches from you. I don't have to go through all that 9 CP bomb. I can just use them. And what I did was I killed some, not as many as I wanted, but then I used their extra movement to zone block JV in his corner. That's exactly what I wanted. Hey, you don't go anywhere. You just stay right there and wait for the cavalry to keep coming in and layer assault you. Um, 
I had predetermined right before this game started, I was going to take something away from him that I knew that uh, players like, and that's all 60 plague bears, right? Like I want to do it and I want to do it quick before his reserves came in because uh, JV did, did a, an amazing job to know to reserve the pinks and reserve the blood letters, both of which bothered me. Um, so I had to kill them and I had top of turn. So I wanted through my turn too. I was like, every plague bearer will die. Um, and I, and that's what happened, basically. <laughs> Mass genocide. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I came strong for him, right? Um, and this is where the the game uh, still did well, but I knew that it was going to be really bad. Um, I deploy, so I bring bring the bikes in, kill half, right? Um, I, I, I bring a large force on turn two, which I usually don't do. I, I said again, I made up in my mind, I'm doing it. I'm bringing the Patriarch, my Primus, my Magus. I'm bringing Rocksaw. I'm bringing an Acolyte unit, right? That is a lot for me to, to, to commit considering the bike unit was already on the board and has already died, right? So I brought the Magus in. He's got the Crouchling, so that's plus one to cast. I measure to make sure I'm out outside of range um, to cast Might from Below. For anybody who doesn't know, that's plus one strength, plus one attack. So now I've already perfect ambushed this 20-man Rocksaw unit. So I, I know that we're saying a lot of words, but for everybody to get a visual of what all these things mean when I say a Rocksaw unit, that's 20 Acolytes with eight Rocksaws. The Acolytes have three base attacks. The Plague Bears don't care about rending, so they have three base attacks each right um and plus one strength plus one attack means they all have four base that's three rock saw attacks each um and then i have a banner around so they're plus one attack so i am hitting on twos re-rolling ones and then i decided that i put my primus down i need to kill this 30-man unit that the bikes didn't cripple right so i need to go into them and go into the other rock saw unit or go into the other plague bearer unit that was hurt so i said uh, i'm blowing all my my abilities right now my primus i'm a re-roll once so i was going to have like 80 attacks coming in hitting on these re-roll ones wounding on twos re-roll ones and those rock saws also were basically just going to pick up a plague bearer because it's two damage and then he has the five up feel no pain of once one got through um that power didn't go off okay that power didn't go off so they're not getting four base attacks each not getting three rock saws only two and um he goes in and makes them i knew he would he goes in and makes them an extra minus one to hit so they're at a base minus two to hit i was like this is not what i want i've committed on this path right i cannot I can't sway right now. I have to do any resources that I can because if I set up for this for this uh, one maneuver right now to pick up all these plague bearers and I don't and he's able to bubble wrap me and bring his characters in at a layer thing like it is not going to be good. So JV, I mean, as a as a great general did, he opted, you know, to give himself a, a four plus plus feel no pain. Um, and I stopped. I was like, put the clock on me. <laughs> I was like, I'm at a, I'm at an impasse right now, ladies and gentlemen, because I know as a GSC player, and I know that he has combat, that I know that I'm going to be in a situation where I'm going to split, I'm going to hit two, uh, two multiple units, and I'm going to need to stop his interrupt. That's what I vex. That's why I vex every game is the interrupt. And right when he said that, I was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is a perfect storm. I didn't get plus one strength, plus one attack off. Um, I'm, he's going to have, he's got the extra minus one to hit and he's going to now have a four plus plus feel no pain. So 
so to stop you here real quick, um, this is really good stuff. Uh, Jim, in your opinion, how do you handle it and what happens in this game if if that power does go off? If, so, if uh, Jesus' power does go off. Go ahead. Yeah, so just kind of rewinding it a little bit. Um, like, <clears throat> I think you picked up, uh, like, maybe 15 Plague Bearers, turn one with the... Uh, with the, the demo charges and all the, the bikes. And I basically, and this was actually, um, this was actually a moment where I felt really bad because I, so at this point, I think I, I mean, as I mentioned, we played a million games and I basically had charged his bikers to kill them. And I ended up killing them with all my smites and demon princes uh, with both plague bear units. And um, my plague bears actually have, the, the unit separation, there's, it's, it's fairly subtle. There's like ones that have red spines, ones that have gray spines. And I, I totally, I totally like screwed this up. And what I realized was in his turn two, when he went to go charge all these units, I was like super out of coherency, like to the point where I was like, I felt like I was cheating and I had, you know, I had removed models in like a, uh, a way that I, I was, I just, it was just a sloppy play on my part. And, uh, you know, I, I felt really bad because I'm usually very, very particular, like I'm very, very technical with my plague bearers and like how they move. And like, I'm very, very careful about that. So I was like, I was super embarrassed that like I, you know, messed up these plague bearers really bad as far as uh, how I split them. And the other thing I knew is that he needed, he, he had to kill them all. Uh, they were my only, they were my main screen. So, um, but uh, you know, I, I, I tried to talk it out with Juice and I think we came I mean, and, and this is maybe a question for you guys, but uh, when you have those situations like that, you know, my, my in my mind, I want to resolve it in a way that makes it so there's no advantage for me whatsoever, you know, so that no matter, you know, if I made a mistake with my coherency, I want to make sure that my opponent feels like I resolved it in a way that felt like I wasn't trying to, you know, game it or take advantage so that he felt like, you know, that was a fair resolution and that, in fact, was uh, detrimental to me for making that mistake. And I think we did resolve it pretty well. And, I, I, you know, I know, uh, you know, Juice was super, super, like, cool about it. But I just I obviously wanted to apologize again for that. Um, oh, man, yeah, and, I, uh, yeah, I don't yeah. I don't mean, but I, I said it at the tail and everything like literally mistakes happen in every game of 40K. I mean, you did an amazing job. And just to, to clarify of uh, how it ended up handling it, right, is where I'm, I'm at an impasse of where one unit is going to charge one way and one's going to charge another. At this current juncture, he's like, well, wait a second, there's more units over here. And I said, whoa, whoa. whenever I asked, you know, you said he said the, the break was here. Um, and then he's like, I did. Well, that's how we're going to play it. That is completely my fault. I didn't realize it bled over. So actually, when I charged in and uh, swung swung in with my other unit into the hurt, two models, uh, if I'm not mistaken, right, Jim, that two yeah. models were actually from the whole unit, from the big unit that my yeah. rock saws were going. And he just scooped those along. He's like, whatever casualties you do, right, because I've already based, I've already moved in. And models that I based uh, as per where the line was that I was told that it was drawn uh, were from the other units. I look, is it fair? I'll just these two also. Right. And whatever other casualties you do. And I was like, absolutely. It's more than fair. You know, um, isn't I just want to interrupt here. Isn't it amazing when when you can just be reasonable? Yeah. yeah. It just sounded really fucking. I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there scratching my head like, OK, uh, where, where, where's the mic drop here? Like, uh, 
Where's the big thing? This is, this is a, a reasonableness in motion. And, uh, yeah, good job for you guys because sometimes, you know, that moment. Uh, Juice, we're on a podcast together. You are, you have, you have one of the best quotes on this topic of all times. And I've, and I've tried to repeat it and garbled it before, but the game in front of you is not bigger than the, than the, than the game that's going on. Yeah, the game as a whole. No, absolutely. And that's, and that is something, um, Jim and I, like, not to, I don't care who won the game. It doesn't matter. Like, obviously, I care because Jim won it, but, like, it didn't matter if I did or not. Like, ultimately, at the end of the day, the 100 people that were standing around our table because we stayed at the front, those people and anybody else who was recorded needed to see that two grown ass 40k players who have a passion for the game with amazing lists and by the way who want to win you guys want to win this that's right this wasn't uh we weren't handing it over like no you win no 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 you win (laughs) we're still we're still competitors at heart that we actually cared as a whole to say hey wait a second because we'll I'll, i'll fast forward to a point you know where obviously, um, you know, Jim maybe made a mistake and we re-ended it right right there. Well, round a turn five where the game was probably already in hand for, for JV. But um, I more or less, in my mind, I said stay outside of three inches through a building and just take this objective because in my mind, I'm moving for, for a little for the next turn. And Jim, Jim looks at me and says, you meant to be outside of three inches so I didn't heroically through this building, right? And I was like, absolutely, I meant that. I I said it in my head. He's like, no problem, I won't do it. He had no no lie. He had every right that he could have said, you're within an inch of the building, I'm going to heroically with my DP, and I'm going to pick up eight models, right? But he's like, I just assumed because we had already set that precedent earlier in the day, you know, that I was taking my time to meticulously do those things. He's like, I, I assume that that's what you meant. Um, so again, he extended that olive branch. So that's what a uh, high level 40 K play is not the gotcha moments, you know, uh, that, uh, Jim showcased said that wouldn't win him his, uh, semifinal game. So, um, so but I, I oh, go ahead. No, I was, I was just going to go back to the plague bears, which was the question, but go, go ahead and finish your thought. Oh yeah. Ask the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was, I was actually doing my, my best to get back to there as well. So go right ahead, Jim. I was going to say, uh, one thing you did forget to mention, uh, Juice, that at that point in the game, uh, Billy the Kid or whoever, uh, so I, I remember I love thinking, that Billy the Kid. I'm going to have to make him now also. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I remember thinking before the game, uh, all right, whatever you do, make sure you screen out your characters because the Kalimorph can pop up three inches away and don't let Armin get shot. That was, I was like, the one thing I got to be really careful of is to not let him do that. Lo and behold... I turn one, I move my army, and turn two, he looks at my deployment, and he's like, hey, is there enough room for uh, the the Calimorph to fit there? And I was like, I looked at it, and I was like, huh. So I measured out three inches from all the different models, units around, and there was basically a, a circle of dice that I created to show the three-inch distance from all the models, and the Calimorph slotted perfectly inside that three-inch <laughs> one Calimorph-sized hole. Just there's like literally a, a 30 mil hole circle and there's a 25 mil Kalimorph in there. And yeah. sure enough, shoots Armin, kills Armin. So um, that was his turn too. And then he proceeds to uh, put a billion attacks into my Plague Bears. And the Mike from Beyond, I mean, I don't know if it would have made a difference. I, I, think, I think it made a little difference because I think I had six Plague Bears left after all was said and done. Because uh, they were minus two to hit, so he's hitting on fours. And then I'm hitting, I'm saving on four, so which means even 80 attacks, 
that's that's you know a quarter of them are going to go through. Um, so uh, and I don't think he got quite eighty. I think it was, it was quite a few, but not quite. So yeah. at the end of that turn, all I had left out of sixty plague bears was six of them. And if you know how my army plays, the plague bears are the backbone, and, and Juice obviously recognized that. And uh, that was the second game in a row where. Because uh, against our, uh, Chris earlier in the game, he also picked up like 40 Plague Bears turn one between Jinx and Doom and all his shooting. And so uh, I I think because of the previous game where I lost so many so quickly, but still won, I didn't panic. Because a lot of times when those when those, uh, when those those Plague Bears go down, you know, there's not a lot of stuff to hide the characters, which is really the, the power in my army. And, uh, and uh, so I didn't panic. But uh, yeah, those Plague Bears, the, the, like I... I have never seen Plague Bears disappear so quickly uh, than I did in the last two games I played. Um, you know, when you're playing top tables, be ready for people to pick up 40 Plague Bears in a turn. Uh, most other people just don't. Most people don't have the lists to do that, but uh, Juice definitely did. So that was that was a very scary moment for me because I was like, "This is not good." I just lost Armin and I just lost all my Plague Bears at the top of turn two, and I just remember thinking at that point, I was like. I'm just going to play the games every turn as best I can. And I, like, I don't know if I can pull this off, but, uh, you know, like don't get, you know, don't let, don't, don't get, uh, don't give up and just play every turn and play perfect for the rest of the game. And, and um, you know, obviously that, that was pretty scary uh, turn two for me. So. Yeah. And one thing I want to reiterate is like, I didn't immediately, and this is, this Again, we're just going to keep going back to tabletop etiquette, right? I didn't put my model down and say, I'm shooting Jesse James to kill Aramai. I looked at my opponent. I assumed that his base could fit there. But instead, I said, do you think that my base can fit there? Will you measure it? Because I can sit there and it's advantageous for me to, oh, yeah, he fits and come to find out. It's like, really, really is. But like, that doesn't look like three, right? So that's something that as a GSC player, I've learned people get to feel badsies when you just like want to be a bully at the table and you're doing all these things and whatnot. And it's like, so I get my opponents involved uh, almost every game is like, do you think I can do this? Do you think they fit there? Hey man, there's not, there's nothing worse than before the, the fly keyword change. Like just leaving that 20, you know, 32 millimeter gap in your town line. This is speaking from experience and letting that smash cap and just float on in. <laughs> just, just, just happy wreck dance. your life. Happy dance land. <laughs> Yeah, and to kind of like tie all this up in a in a pretty little bow, um, and to address this is this is really like the social contract, um, what Juice is referring to. Uh, I feel like there's a little bit of misconception. Social contract isn't don't be a dick to your opponent, although you shouldn't be a dick to your opponent. It's really as you and your opponent are a team working towards playing this game together and getting a good competitive game of 40k in. Right. And so, you know, this is a perfect example of, of how a 40K game should be played. You know, you should ask your opponent, hey, would you mind measuring this? Um, like I oftentimes I'll, I'll say like my opponent is Johnny on the spot. So if, if they're if they have an angle that I don't have instead of me going over there and, and both of us looking at it, measuring it, I'll just say, hey, could you measure it? Am I at 36 inches or am I at six inches, 10 inches? And then they'll say yes or no. And then I'll be like, OK. That's cool. And then and then when they're like, oh, do you want to measure it? I'll say no, because you have the better angle than I do, and I trust you. Uh, and so, you know, it's just, there's a lot of give and take here. Yeah. And the other half of that, too, is that Jim, I assume, didn't spend the next 30 minutes trying to find any way possible to make sure that that was not a three-inch gap, <laughs> which, which is the other half of it, too, right? Like, you know, sometimes you did leave that gap there, and you got to recognize that and, and put the dice where they belong. 
Yeah, exactly. And then, so did I need to vet him getting a five up feel no pain? And I have to, I keep hammering this because in my opinion, this is why I lost the game. Um, in my opinion, at the end of my turn two, the game was, was heavily stacked in my favor. If we were watching uh, the stats go up on like ESPN sports, this would be at the time where it would be like the, the percentage bar. If I'm on the right side and Jim is on the left, like, in my opinion, 85% chance Juice is going to win this game, right? Yeah. Like, it was that devastating. Um, yeah. But the whole time in the back of my mind, right, I'm like, I've already blown my vet. I, I personally didn't think that I had firepower, and I didn't want to leave it a chance. Come to find out, I laughed in my brain, and I was seeing how many four-up feel-no-pains you actually rolled. And I think I remember saying out loud, you only rolled one four-up feel-no-pain. That's what I spent three CP to vect, right? Well, it was, was a one or two plague bearer difference. Yeah, and the funny part was he was so indecisive, he diced it. He said, okay, I'm going to roll a dice. Oh, no. And on a four-plus, I'm going to vect, and on a one, two, three, I'm not going to vect. So he rolls a five, and I was like, all right, so you're back my uh, warp surge. And, I mean, that could have yeah. been the game. That, that was a one, two, or three. The could have, game could have gone a lot yeah. differently. So. And, and it's so funny. Is, do you know how many times I do that? Again, we're on a clock. I could debate mentally making the choice left or right. I could talk myself in and out of it. At the end of the day, whether I make a uh, seven-inch charge or Sean makes a seven-inch charge to go on to the next round at, at LVO was based off dice. So I will I've I've done that for years and years. I will let the, the dice decide my fate, you know. Um but uh it, it it did kind of backfire you there, but but that is sure. a good point about decision paralysis, right? Like sometimes, you know, you're third and one, Super Bowl's on the line, and you overthink yourself and you throw the ball instead of run the ball and you throw an interception <laughs> and you lose, right? True <laughs> Little story. Super Bowl right. Patriots Seahawks reference there, it's but too soon, oh. still too soon, still come on. Yeah, they, they got forty guys. seconds. Seahawks though. are my team, so still, still too soon. <laughs> um, but Carol but, was pretty decisive on that call too. Right. Yeah. <laughs> on the on the flip side, you, you you know you you made you rolled the dice uh, literally, um, and you made the bad call, uh, and and obviously you, you know you could go on and on about debating what's not what you could have done, what you shouldn't have done. Juice, if you hadn't have affected the four up feel no pain what would you have affected instead and how would that have affected the outcome of the game so um i think jim would agree here uh, uh he brings in his blood letters he brings in his pinks coming in on uh his yeah. turn two he had to retaliate in this manner right yeah i had to um, i had to put i had to hit as hard like i couldn't i couldn't sit there and deliberate i had to everything it was like all in i had to go all in that turn with as much as I could, and yeah, the horrors came down, and the bloodletters came down, and all the demon princes got ready to, you know, go over the top of the trenches, so to speak, and, you know, just try to kill as much as humanly possible, because I knew if I didn't do enough damage this turn, I was going to lose the game, and uh, they basically, I mean, people underestimate how good pink horrors are, but uh, they picked up a whole unit of 20 Acolytes, I think, with because uh, they hit on fours, rerolling ones, and then wounding on twos with Flickering Flames. And then my Bloodletters picked up another unit of uh, of Acolytes basically by themselves. I think there was like two left at the end. Yeah, I had, I had one left in each unit. So that was when I had this like glimmer of hope. Like I saw, I dropped the Bloodletters, you know, I cast lots of spells, I smited as much as I could, and I killed the Keller Morph through Psychic, so he was kind of out of my hair. And I remember after killing basically 38 Acolytes with the Rock Saws, 
there was like a glimmer of like hope in in my like in my vision. I was like, okay, you know, there's you know, and I think I'd screened out still pretty. I was still screened out pretty well, so I knew whatever came in next would uh, have to. And he would have to kind of decide how he was going to split them. And uh, I'm sure Juice can tell you, but and I think this was the other thing that probably cost him, which is he uh, split his he went he split his attacks or his units to go after the blood letters and the horrors. And uh, he had I think it was 17 acolytes to come after the horrors, and then the 10 metamorphs to go after the blood letters, if I recall. Yep, that's exactly right. And uh, pe people underestimate how many like uh, when you have 75 shots. Hitting on sixes, rerolling ones, that wound on twos. I think I picked up nine of the uh, acolytes on Overwatch. It was pretty crazy. Um, like seven or eight of them on Overwatch, charging the horrors. And uh, he charged the blood letters with his metamorphs, and then the horrors with his acolytes. And I think this was where he should have saved the Vex. So I'll let you tell them yeah. that part. No, that's exactly right. Like I knew that's where my internal struggle was because I knew how how it was going to play out. Even though I went first. I knew that I was going to get your deep strikes before, you know, I could still have units in reserve to be able to counter your deep strike. So that was like best case scenario for me. And I knew that I couldn't, I had no chance of winning the game if I didn't engage both units at a time in which you, in which you would bring them down. Um, so that was that big struggle for me, right? Like, do I save for the interrupt or do I still deal with the threat in front of me to eliminate them? Um, I, I would, I would feel like an absolute jackass if I, if you would have rolled like 17, four up, feel no pains and I didn't kill anybody. Right. But so you didn't, but so that's, that's where the biggest struggle was, right? Because if I did just have that Vect, if the psychic ability plus one strength plus one attack from turn two goes off, I feel comfortable and I don't even think about it. I say, you can have your feeling of pain. You can have your invulnerables. I'm going to do enough, right? But I didn't. I was unsure. So I made that call. And furthermore, I could have just as easily opted out in which I've thought about this in my head a lot. I opt to swing with the uh, cultist unit first against the pinks. Because they're easier for my mortars to pick up, but my chokehold in your deployment or half, right, table half, had my uh, patriarch. I knew without my patriarch, I could not kill a demon prince at this stage of the game. I had my magus. I had, I was actually, I had my magus um, and I was going to uh, use mind control between one of the two psychers to go take over your C-beam, right? And start picking up characters uh, uh, or start picking up anything that I could in that manner as well. So like my characters at that stage of the game was so important to me that I knew that I could not leave them to chance uh, that uh, you activating the bloodletter unit up. And yeah. because of how I was engaged with them, um, you were touching like three characters, right? That were all yeah. strung out. And then the metamorphs were on the end. You probably wouldn't have killed, but a couple metamorphs, but you would have crippled the character heaviness of my army with the blood letters. Right. So I ended up obviously activated the metamorphs. They handily could have killed blender, 30 blood just letters. Blender the blood letters. Like, <laughs> not even, I don't even think I rolled more than one set of saves. Yeah. I think I rolled, there was like 70 something million saves. And I rolled, yeah. I was like, I'm just going to roll these 15. And I rolled them and I'm like, okay, yeah, they just all die. Like, they I, all just I, was like, I think he had something like 40 something wounds. I'm like, okay, you can just probably just stop rolling at this point. Like, yeah, they're all I dead. just, I, I went, I went, you know, and so here I am. I'm like, yep, here's the CP. Um, and again, acolytes, uh, taking those eight casualties going yeah. in out of 20, right. Um, 
they just they didn't have enough to stick yeah. around, and, and he then, interrupts. And then the horrors, uh, like I saw one of my demon princes near them, and they're still strength four from the the herald. So you know it was like twenty five attacks, hitting on fours, rerolling ones, wounding on threes. Which actually, I think I picked up another six or seven acolytes. So by the time they got to actually strike, there was eight left, and I have a four plus invulnerable. So you know you do the math there, and I think you ended up killing maybe three of them. I had one. I I have five, so I have five reinforcement points in my list, and uh, people are always like, "Why do you have five reinforcement points?" It's for a single blue horror, and uh, <laughs> I know it's people are like, "Well, that's silly. Why do you have that?" And so the trick with them is, <clears throat> there's a lot of times I charge my horrors um, to eat Overwatch, and so what you do is, if you're just saying combat like we were, I'll just take, I'll just kill a, a pink, and then I'll take it on the blue. Uh, I think he tanked two wounds before he died, but. Um, Against a lot of armies, I will charge them with my horrors out of deep strike. They'll maybe kill one horror to deep strike to Overwatch, and then you can pop your horror, your blue horror, two uh, two inches away, closer to the enemy, uh, so that your charge ends up being a six inch charge. So if someone kills one of your horrors in Overwatch, you can pop a blue horror closer to them two inches, and then you end up with a six inch charge instead of a nine inch charge. And so a lot of people. Don't I mean it's a super super like sneaky little combo and it's it's one me games because it's it's a uh, it's against Tau where like you know they can eat the Overwatch and then all my characters can go in and they can make the charge so it's definitely like a little sneaky and so uh, I think you killed three or four horrors with all the acolytes because of the four plus and uh, that was kind of like the end of turn your turn three I think um, yeah 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 and then basically from there it was uh, me playing off my back foot. Um, again, if we refer back to ESPN, we we're laughing at earlier, uh, turn to as ESPN flips, you know, I've seen some, it's like 99% chance New England's going to win. And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, uh, five seconds later and it's a hundred percent the other way, but, um, yeah. solid end of my turn to couldn't feel any stronger, felt amazing, uh, to at the start of turn four, I would say at that point in time, I started doing the math in my head. I didn't even truly have a lot of long plays that I could try try to do. Um, one of my things was, it's like, if any one of these demon princes falls flat on their face, whiffs on something, you know, I had a chance. Uh, and neither none of them did. Um, uh, JV really got in his zone with his character placement, psychic abilities. It was a whole different person I was noticing, you know, where, you know, he was super dialed in. And, like, I think that... 40k is not only model place, but uh, like players' energies and stuff like that. And immediately, it didn't. I mean, it didn't do. It didn't hinder my, you know, game plan. But I knew if I sensed that there was still maybe some some uncertainty or something like that, maybe I could try to impose something myself. But I was like, nah. There's he's zoned in. He's locked. He's pressing with the right units. He's sending DPS the right ways. He's target priority is you know with his C beams are right. Like, uh, I mean, it was pretty much game over after that. So the, uh, the eye of the tiger. Yeah. So so from my perspective too, I I still like I know that you may have felt that I definitely didn't feel that I felt you know I I had had that you know a bit of a counterpunch turn three. Um, once you picked up my blood letters, uh, I was still quite worried. Um, I managed to smite the. Uh, the acolytes that were against the horrors out before the shooting phase so that I could shoot with them still because I didn't fall them back. And that ended up picking up the metamorph. So I managed to kill both the eight-man acolyte squad and the 10-man metamorph squad with horrors and 
Smite, and then my Corn Prince went into the Patriarch, and he basically blundered him as well because he just got the axe that just destroys everything. I think he did like 16 wounds to him or something like that. Uh, yeah. Once he and died, that's the first moment in my head I was like, I think I can win this game because I looked at the board and my Sea Beam Dread was hilarious because he had a lot of these little five man acolyte squads and it was just picking up, uh, you know, picked up five acolytes here, picked up mortars here, just picking up these little kind of straggler squads. And at that point, once I killed the Patriarch, I looked at the board and I said, I don't know, I had three Demon Princes left. And, like, I still had my horror, uh, about, you know, 15 horrors in the middle. They took a few mortars and uh, I ended up, another key part for me was uh, he had a Clamavis in the middle near an objective. And my horrors managed to wrap it on my turn four so that basically all my characters were untargetable. And my horrors were wrapped around a, a Clamavis, which doesn't really fight. So we were just going to sit there all game and beat each other, which meant... Uh, and I was going to hold that objective, but also that meant my characters were basically untargetable because those horrors weren't going to go anywhere. I think at that point, turn four, I was the first moment I thought I can win this game because I looked around and I was like, you have nothing to kill my demon princes. Like all the, all the punch was dead. Uh, and then at that point it was just picking up, uh, just, I just started kind of trying to surgically pick up characters. I got lucky a few times with a few psychic powers. Like I managed to kill his, uh, his caster uh, with just with psychic spells, not having to charge into it, so let me go in a different direction. Um, you know, and then I managed to start threatening the south side of the board with uh, with my other other demon prince. So that was uh, that was probably the moment where I was like, I think I can win this game. But at every point before that, before that patriarch died, because I was like, if I don't kill his patriarch, the corn prince, people don't understand. He's he is a glass cannon, so he goes in, he chops things up, but he cannot take a punch. He's got a five plus save. Uh, five yeah. plus vulnerable. So I it's, said, if I don't kill his patriarch and he kills my corn prince, and then then your patriarch charges another one of my demon princes, I'm going to be in trouble. And yeah. uh, luckily, I did. And I think at that point, I was like, okay, I just got to not totally screw this up and just just keep because I knew I had bottom bottom turn, and that was also huge because it, it let me know exactly what I had to do every turn. And I know a lot of people in 40k <clears throat> think first turn is so important going first. My last two games, both against uh, Chris and against uh, Juice, obviously I went second. And I don't think I would have won those games if I went first, to be honest. And even though both games I lost probably upwards of, like in Chris's game, I lost 35 Plague Wears turn one. Against Juice, I lost 60 of them basically by turn two. Um, so I didn't get any of my buffs. I don't think I win those games if I go first because uh, being able to react and counter, rather than me having to drop down my Deep Strikers and then getting charged by his he dropped his down and i got to counter punch and that counter was so so important so i think a lot of people underestimate how how important going second can be and i think it's something that's really really um really really strong in this game if you could if you can handle it if you can handle the alpha strike yeah agreed i actually made a uh, play uh to go back to uh knowing how glass hammery that corn prince is I was like, I, I had a five-man unit left of Acolytes. Um, I think the Corn Prince just consolidated into the Bloodlet or just into the Patriarch maybe or something. I still had a few characters less. I can't remember. But I was like, I'm going to go plus one strength, plus one attack, and plus one to wound on this little five-man Acolyte unit. And I was like, they'll kill this 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 prince yeah right like because they're just it doesn't take much um and i actually that was my one of my last hail marys i was like if i go in here and i connect i still have i think it was my magus i think the patriarch just died uh you know i have a if chance. i just go 
Eagle, 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 birdie. That's right. I got a chance. Hey, but at this <laughs> at this stage of the game, like when all your heavy hitters are there, if you don't have a plan, you might as well quit right away. But so I'm still formulating. I'm like, all right, I have 15 attacks, uh, you know, 12 of which uh, or, or 10 of which are going to be some form of rents to make him take that five up. Like, you know, you've got to get to that stage because uh, at that point <laughs> there, there wasn't much left, but. Either way, Jim, I just want you to know, uh, if I haven't said enough already, congratulations. You did an amazing job. You have an amazing list uh, that's, that you know a lot of people on the Internet would say is unorthodox and not that good or different. You're not taking the most optimized, you know, and so I was just really impressed and, and very, uh, very happy for you on the win. Thanks, man. And, uh, you know, obviously probably one of the best. I couldn't ask for a better finals game. I think uh, – you know, I've had, obviously, <laughs> I've had a lot of people message me in the last, uh, you know, 48 hours asking me about my list. And I think if there's, you know, it's a very toolboxy list. Uh, it has a little bit to deal with everything. But I think, you know, the, the best advice I can give to people, and this is key for what I tell people is, you know, the net listing only gets you so far. You just got to play games. And, you know, I got to I gotta give you a shout out for playing 63 games in a month. I mean, that for me is like, that blows my mind. And I don't even know how you... Uh, how you manage that without uh, losing your mind, but you know it shows uh, kind of the dedication it takes to, to to play at the top. And I think for me, um, I've literally played. This was my fourth tournament since LVO, so I've been just you know I've been playing a lot of practice games, but I've been playing competitive tournament games. And I think you know I felt really you know as you mentioned, I felt really focused uh, the last like all day two. I just. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just from playing a lot, but you just start to see things a lot easier. And um, and it's like you always feel like you know what to do. And I think that comes from practice. Whereas if you're not practicing uh, and you're not playing a lot and not, you don't know the list inside out, you get in these moments where you might not know what you're supposed to do. And maybe you hesitate or you make the wrong move. And I think, you know, the best advice I can give is just play, 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 play. You know, as a, as a guy who hasn't played 63 games um, but probably listen to 63 podcasts about, uh, you know, final table results. This has been one of the best exchanges I've ever heard, uh, going back and forth between the two of you, uh, just wonderful rapport from, from, a, from a top table game. I know I spiked the football a bit in your face juice right off the top with the O Canada stuff. Uh, luckily the, uh, the, the respect that has been shown here from Jim and, uh, from you to him has been, uh, as, 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 uh, gotten past that but yeah. uh just kudos to both of you guys and thank you so much for 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 walking us through that in the detail that you did it was absolutely brilliant i, I learned a ton we're not always in canada especially so some of us have to make up for the others so <laughs> so uh i i was gonna ask at, at very at the very end um for both of you to give like a brief snapshot recap of something that you think you could have done better but i think both of you did a pretty good job um ex explaining your decisions i think we'll just skip that also we're a minute and 45 minutes in. I think it's time to round up the episode and talk about or ask, answer some Patreon questions. So if you're new to the podcast, at the end of every episode, if you signed up for our Patreon, you do get a chance to ask questions to our guests, myself, uh, and any of the co-hosts who were on the episode um, and get them answered through via our Facebook group. And so I, I, there's some really good questions that I kind of want to get into these because um, there's a, actually a bunch of questions uh, and <coughs> Uh, we'll give you guys a, a way if you have more questions for Juice and JV. Um, we'll we'll give them the opportunity to. I like the I like the Jim has become JV now. Yeah, I like JV. Just... It's just so much easier. Jim JV, you know, three words, three letters versus two letters. 
It's just easy. Um, so uh, just, first, just so you know, it's something I do is uh, me and nicknames. I I can. I'm pretty quick. You gotta get him a varsity jacket. Well, you see, I don't have a I don't have a cool Warhammer name like uh, Juice or Val, which or Petey Pop or Pablo. So maybe uh, maybe it's time for for my Warhammer uh, my Warhammer name to to merge. <laughs> JP. Uh, so um, th- this question comes to us from Mr. Dustin H. Uh, Patreon. Uh, since it wasn't a concern for Depticon, can you ask El Jefe Juice? Uh, how his list will change to deal with the infiltrators and assassins in the future, or if he has a way to mitigate them in mind with his current setup. Um, yeah, so the number one thing, first off, any characters, because of undying loyalty that GSC has built in on a four up, if they're around uh, models that have that, that they can just look out sir to, right? So we inherently have something that no space marines, that no, uh, I mean, orcs have the grot shield, but, you know, you're not going to really want to blow that on uh, necessarily that, you know, just some sniper fire. But so they uh, inherently have things. They also have some of my characters and my casters that I really truly care about uh half familiars so i am quick to the draw to just be like yep first wound goes on him you know without even thinking um so that's kind of and, and it's all about uh placement where am i at uh where a lot of times uh as they found out like i'm down to put my casters way in the back you know play my 18 inches uh to make sure that i can still cast but still get them out of harm's way uh, but i'm not going to take uh take too much uh, stock in to say that oh, all my characters are going to die now because uh, of a Venevisor or because of this or that. I'm just going to use, you know, some form of tactics. And you want to know what? If the Evasor kills my Magus after he's already cast a spell, like, okay, you know, um, it's kind of like the the Killamorph where Jesse James comes in three inches and kills Aramon and then he dies, you know. So it's a, it's a give and take. We all have tools to kill certain things. And you just got to know that's like saying, uh, you know, for some people, and this is like more of a helpful thing, uh, don't think that, oh, well, what are you going to do about a Castellan? Well, you know, I'm going to let him get his and then I'm going to deal with him, right? Because you can't say I'm not going to allow the Castellan to kill anything. Hmm. I, on the other hand, I'm terrified, so I'm not sure what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> the, the assassin meta is, is real um, and real interesting. Uh, okay, to- Tofu wants to know, Juice. Uh, what was the total kill count for your Keller Morph, Mr. Jesse James? <laughs> Funny thing, uh, that dude is either the epic god hero of of the stories of old, or he's like limp noodle. Might as well not even put him on the table, right? Uh, I think in this tournament at Adepticon, uh, I don't know. I mean, I think he probably killed 20 orcs in total, probably. Uh, I mean, more importantly, he killed Aramon. <laughs> you know, he, he kills the big guys when it comes in. But, uh, again, there's been so many games I couldn't tell you. But I know for 60 points, I couldn't imagine a better assassin in the history of ever. Hmm. I've, I've got actually a little follow-up to that. Um, you know, coming into this, uh, we were talking a little bit about the – I don't know. It's, it's I, I don't know the exact name of the power, but the mirror of minds thing, where you do the dice off. Did that did that factor in a lot for you? Were you, were you just killing uh, very big creatures all the time? Mental onslaught. You, what, what? Yeah, mental onslaught is an there. It is amazing uh, power. Uh, so for anybody who didn't have a chance to check my list out too, one of the things. Um, I don't get flashy with it, right? My patriarch, who's got to be my warlord, has preset the entire tournament to have um, a, a nine-inch fearless bubble. 
He makes anybody fearless within six. That's the same clan keyword, right? Um, there were cult keyword. Uh, not for me. I want I want I niche, right? That he was keeping acolyte units. So I, it's cute to say, let me go plus one leadership out of the book. Let me put this canvas nearby. Let me put this acolyte warrior for real. Let me let me do all these layered threats. Let me put a uh, Loki nearby my opponent. Let me horror and they stack this combo up right to get this off. Well, that's cute. I, I just, I'll stick with my 11, right? And go with my base 11 because of 10 and the Kilomorph nearby. Um, and so that just does, if you have leadership eight, you know, or even leadership nine, I just, I mean, I've really put in work quite a few times. It'll go on run. Sometimes it'll get stopped right away. But if not, like you're really going to do some things. But um, for anybody who's playing GSC out there, don't get cute I, until you get amazing with the list. And even I feel pretty OK with the list, but I still won't come off of I can call it a crutch if you want. But, you know, how many CP over the course of 10 games would you have saved by making units fearless? Mm. That's what he does for you. Right. Keeping them alive by auto passing leadership checks. Uh, that is the weight of why I know that Warlord trade is unbelievable because uh, in almost every game, I mean, I had individual units that I could add six or D6 models back into um, that Jim couldn't kill in the first two turns because they were fearless. And it happened both in the same turn. I would never spend two CP to keep one model alive, right? But I had two individual models from two different units that I could pick and choose to add D6 models back to. And, you know, when those D6 models are all rock salts, you got us a different game. All right. So next question, Mr. Colin wants to hear about Jim's thoughts on the new Vigilus Ablaze stuff. Mr. Chaos Player. So, I mean, I'll say that there, I think there's a few nuggets in there. Um, I don't think it's going to be, you know, meta changing, meta breaking. I think there's a, a decent demon engine list in there somewhere. Um, and I think there's probably a little bit more of a Chaos Gun line in this somewhere. Um, at the end of the day, um, I'm a little underwhelmed. I feel like even the, uh, like if you look at some of the, the detachments in the, uh, the original Vigilist book, I feel like they brought a lot more uh, to those certain armies. Um, I'm not sure who writes the chaos rules. I, I kind of feel like there's maybe a rule that they can never be too good. But I think they're still paying amends for th 3.5 edition where they have the really good codex. Like there's still someone out there that, you know, they have to pay penance for that. But uh you know, nothing really game-breaking, and it seems like every time there is something that's decent, they nerf it really quickly. So cultists have now been nerfed. Not They've been nerfed further in the book in the fact that they're now 1 to 30 and they can't take Legion traits, but they're still 5 points. So it's like GW really doesn't want you to use cultists, and that's fine, but Chaos Space Marines are still not amazing. Um, they're still 13 points for toughness 4, 3, three plus armor save. And uh, I think... The sad part is, and, and this is my biggest disappointment, and I don't mean to be a negative Nancy, because I love Chaos. I felt like that new Chaos book was a huge missed opportunity. Um, the fact that they went all through all the effort of redoing a Chaos Codex, and all they did was do some extra errata and update a few things, uh, I feel was a huge missed opportunity. I think they should have taken the Renegade Knight rules and put it in that Chaos Codex, just like Admech has Knights in theirs. They could have updated the stratagems, updated the Legion traits, as is, the Renegade, the Renegade Legions are way better than the 10,000-year-old, like, original Legions. So if you look at their traits, um, they're just not there. Um, I think the models are absolutely gorgeous. I'm so, so 
happy and excited about those models, especially um, the new Abaddon, like literally spent like three hours staring at it when uh, it went up for uh, pre-order. And uh, I think the, the so, so I have no complaints. The models are amazing. I just wish the rules uh, were a little bit more thought out. Um, I think the Lord Discordant, there's been a lot of chatter about the, uh, the character Lord Discordant. And I think everyone is wrong about him. I think he's awesome. So uh, I'm planning to uh, try to list with three of them running around in a Supreme Command, just like for very cheap and just terrorizing everything. So uh, I think there's some gems in there, but I wouldn't uh, expect them to to Chaos Space Marines to be, um, you know, meta breaking or anything like that. So. Hmm. All right. Mr. Ian wants to know, brief, brief question, Val can answer this one too. Uh, real quick. What is a model or unit that you would love to see get more use on the tabletop? All right, not everyone answer at once. <laughs> <laughs> as in, as in, like, well, I mean, as in, Bofter just uh, would like to see it out there. You some know, more. he didn't, he didn't explain that. So I'm gonna say uh, a unit that you think is a bit um, is good is a sleeper unit that you just wish more people would just see how good they are. I think uh, with the the new demon stuff. Um, I want to run a triple defiler list. I think for I think for 144 points, they are with the with the character. They're going to be awesome, and I think people don't don't understand how good they're going to be um, when you have three defilers and three of the Lord Discordants running around with a bajillion attacks. Um, so I'm really excited to put three of those on the table in front of someone and just have them scratch their heads at me. But you, Mr. Juice. Uh, you know, there's a couple like near and dear to my heart. At the end of the day, like I'm a nid player. That's that's my one of my largest armies I own and one of my biggest passions. So pretty much, uh, I could throw a dart at any one of the units. Like Carnifexes need to be better. Uh, uh, my Exocrine, uh, I wish was better. But I'll say my number one of anything else, my Trigon Prime needs to have a damn invulnerable save. <laughs> I guess this will be my uh, my my once weekly plug for uh, for the forlorn Stompa. Uh, <laughs> I'm just hoping that that you know we're, we're abusing our influence and there's some some browbeaten rules writer out there who loves chapter tactics and has heard me talk about the Stompa ten million times. I just love that guy. He's, he, he's a robot in a skirt who just really wants to beat ass, and he's he's expensive and has bad rules. So I I I. I would love to see him on tables way more. Would, would you say he's a peacock and we just need to allow him to fly? Oh, man. His <laughs> wings are clipped right now. He, he, he could be soaring. He could be soaring. Like just floating down like Mary Poppins with that thing. You know, like it would be, be beautiful. But unfortunately, it's not to be for now. Who knows? <laughs> so um, <clears throat> I, I'd just like to see more Papa, Papa Smurf Calgar, the OG Papa Smurf. Not Mr. Gilliman. Just, just give me some more Calgar love. Um, <clears throat> all right, Josh. This is a bit of a silly question, guys, but but bear in mind, and also you know, remember, keep it keep it classy. Uh, if you could date any pro forty k player, who would it be? Wow, I know there's so many good options. I'm in a <laughs> I'm in an open relationship with uh, Sean Aiden, Austin Wingfield, Kenny Boucher. So I pretty much my <laughs> diet is full. Like I. <laughs> Uh, um, if we're talking, if we're down that path, uh, so yeah, there's nothing. Um, I'm I'm filled. Oh. I have to, uh, you know, I have to admit, um, you know, it's been it's been pretty pretty amazing to me uh, the last you know few months. But uh, I would probably have to be my number one fan, uh, Peter the Falcon, because uh, you know he's just shown me this, yeah. this this undying love and support. 
that you know I've never had, I've never felt from another man, and uh, I just feel like uh, you know he's 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 been waiting for me all this time. So I think maybe we're soulmates. I'm not quite sure. That's so great. Um, all my, right. So my favorite term is heterosexual life. There you go. Uh, so Mr. Chris uh, has a question for Jim. Um, why weren't you this good at warmer fantasy? Oh wow. Um, well, I used to drink a lot more, and uh, to be honest, um, I think I think like I've just focused more on like last year when I so I started playing 40k competitive. Well, right around when eighth came out. Um, after playing fantasy in eighth, uh, sorry, seventh, eighth edition, whatever edition where they killed everyone and blew up the world. But uh, last year, I think I went to about 23 tournaments. And even at the height of my fantasy competitive play, I think I maybe went to six tournaments in a year. So I was just, last year, I was just in a better place, uh, you know, financially and career wise to be able to travel for tournaments and get that practice in. And I think that really, really showed in, um, you know, how my games improved in the last year. So, and, uh, you know, even, even at the height of fantasy, there was not that many, you know, if you think about five, six years ago, there was not uh, one GT major every two, three weeks for Warhammer Fantasy. Like you had maybe two tournaments in all of Canada, like two or three across the whole you know, country. And, and, and I didn't travel to the States. I thought that was crazy to travel for Warhammer. Um, and obviously that's, I've come full circle there. So, um, but I do appreciate the question. Um, all right, guys. So that's it for the Patreon questions. Uh, as always, um, I don't go get to all of them because I feel like we answer a ton of them during the podcast and also um, some of them we just don't have time to get to, unfortunately. If you want to keep asking those questions, head on over to patreon.com slash chapter tactics and sign up. All right. We have a Facebook goal, a Patreon goal uh, to get one of the co-hosts to fly out to a GT or 40K GT every quarter. Um, we're at 150 patrons, actually less than that. Um, we dipped a little bit, but when we hit 200 patrons, I'm going to fly out one co-host every three months. So if that's something you're interested in, you want to meet us, you want us to fly out to a local GT to your area, sign up for Patreon, tell your friends, head on over to the Facebook group. Uh, and then finally, if you want to check out Mr. more of what Mr. Juice has to say or Mr. JV, uh, where can people find you guys? So the n- number one place for us right now, or for, for me, uh, the best place to go is either you can personally add me on Facebook, uh, but the best place is Patreon forward slash Battle Brother. That's where Sean and I have our tactics uh, area. We have Team Battle Brother, which is hitting the scene pretty hard this year for uh, we're going for best ITC team. Um, so, you know, that's, uh, we do tactics and classes and have a Facebook group as well and do things, uh, create lists. And, uh, we've had a really, uh, just a lot of, a lot of success over the last, uh, just these, I think five short months. Um, so that and, uh, longwar.com. And you can find me just, uh, yeah, you can add me on Facebook at Jim Vessel. I also have a uh, Instagram account that I use for all my painting and competitive. It's uh, Jimbo V underscore paints. So feel free to follow me. Um, I also just want to give quickly a shout out to my team from Beef and Wing in Buffalo, New York, who uh, won Best Chaos uh, at the team tournament with me, and I uh, can't can't couldn't have done it without them. So uh, thanks again for uh, for for taking me on there. And lastly, Pablo, if you don't mind, just one last shameless plug uh, to the Beats Lab uh, hobby shop and gaming area. 
Carolina. If anybody is out on the East Coast, if anybody wants to fly, we're actually, it just went up today, and we're going to be doing a two-day GT in June, June 1st, that is. And so uh, right now we're we're in a little limbo. Uh, we feel like it'll sell out really quick, uh, but right now we're having 40 spots because that that's what we can fit inside of our store very comfortably. Um, but we've already are talking on the back end to where if we get uh, 60, 80 people, we're not going to turn people away. It's just the more people that come, uh, we are to uh, just move to a bigger venue. We're really blessed in this area. We are in golf country. So there is a plethora of uh, beautiful clubhouses and uh, open arenas and things like this that we can host a 40K tournament in. So Pablo, uh, it's only a couple, three, four months away. So maybe this could be one of the, the ones uh -oh. that uh, you guys fly out to. That's all I'm saying. I'm I'm going to sign up uh, on your Patreon as soon as, as soon as we get off this call. I'm trying to get into 200. I'd love to check out the Beats Lab. Maybe slang some magic with anyone down there as well. Ooh, some 40K. Got, a, got a big scene. I'll I'll be motoring up uh, from Florida probably in May. I'm going to be checking out uh, the uh, it's uh, Warzone Gigabytes. So I'll be I'll be coming through. So maybe on my my way there, I'll I'll swing by the Beats Lab and you get me into game shape. Please, please do. I pretty much always open our house up. We have a couple two or three extra bedrooms, so uh, you guys always have a place to stay. Hmm. Alright guys, and as always, go to FrontlineGaming.org for all your good 40k stuff, secondhand shop, items, painting studio, terrain, FLG mats. Check out Sean's podcast, Sean, Josh's, and Jalen's podcast in the finest hour. Check out In Control TV on YouTube and Twitch. Uh, and then go to 40kstats.com where Peter is absolutely killing it. He opened up his analytics a little bit to me, and man, that site gets a lot of traffic. So a little pat on the back for Mr. Peter the Falcon. 40kstats.com is awesome. Let's check that and out. I just want to pop in here. One last thing I want to say is uh, these these two gentlemen are, are, are representing their countries at the ETC this year, and I personally really hope that you guys uh, cross paths again. Uh, because that means Canada's probably doing pretty well, and that would be great. <laughs> You've heard it here. Uh, there's a match that's going to happen, uh, JV versus Juice in the finals at ETC. Canada versus the big old US of A. Oh, my gosh. Canada, USA. I was chanting USA last year, man. So this year this year, it would be great to sing the national anthem again. I couldn't drop my panties anywhere harder for that tournament until now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much for listening. You guys are the best listeners in the world, and have a good one.